Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about both All of Us Strangers and A Fire. Join me today. I'm very curious what he would do if Paul Mescal came knocking on his door at 11 o'clock. It's John Police. John, how are you? Uh, thank you for having me, um, <laughs> I, is what I would say to Paul Mescal. <laughs> eh. And also joining me, he just he just finished working on his next script. I think it's called Tuna Melt. It's Ben Lubin. Ben, how's it going? Look, I just wish I was in Germany right now. <laughs> I, I, I mean, look, I think you'd be uh, happier to be there than some of the characters we're going to talk about in the second movie we're going to sure discuss. Right. Uh, so first, first, we're going to talk about All of Us Strangers, and then uh, and then we're going to uh, send John on his way, and Ben and I are going to talk about A Fire. I don't know how long that'll go, because... It's been about seven months since Ben saw that movie and a month since I did, but it's one I wanted to talk about and, uh, you know, is, a, is, a, is one of the, you know, better foreign films I saw last year. So I'm looking forward to doing that. But we're going to start with All of Us Strangers, which is the first film in, uh, geez, like what, six years from Andrew Hike? Uh, six years, yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, Lean on Pete was 2017. Yes. So it's his first movie since Lean on Pete, but he also, you know, in 2011 had a weekend and in 2014, I think had 45 years. And so, you know, he's not the most prolific guy, but like, I think we all enjoy his movies when he does them. And so he finally had his follow-up with all the strangers, which stars uh, Andrew Scott. He's, he plays a television writer named Adam that lives in a very desolate apartment in London. He just doesn't seem uh, super happy with where his life is. And he, uh, and just doesn't really seem, he's trying to write some kind of script about his, uh, his trial and what happened there when he was uh, lost his parents when he was pretty young. Uh, one night, all of a sudden, uh, uh, one of his neighbors, Paul Mescal, comes knocking on his. He played by Paul Mescal. The, the character character's name is Harry. Comes knocking on his door and uh, also seems a little lonely and wants to invite himself in to uh, spend time with Adam. And Adam just kind of turns him away and uh, goes back on his way. And then Adam kind of goes out wandering one day, uh, sometime after that, to his um to uh what turns out to be his childhood home where he ends up, you know, uh, encountering uh, his parents as they were when he, uh, when, when they passed away, when he, in a car accident, when he was 12, they are played by Jamie Bell and Claire Foy. So given the timeline of how old Andrew Scott is and how old his actors are, you know, you have the interesting dynamic of a, of, of a character uh, spending time with his parents who actually uh, appear younger than him. And this version of his parents appearing to him, they, 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 they kind of know that they're dead, but they kind of accept that. And they're just there to like talk to their son. And he does that song. He goes back and he ends up also uh, striking up a romantic relationship with Harry. So, uh, uh, all the while, he's continuing to make these trips to his parents, but uh, growing this bond with uh, Paul Mescal's Harry. And uh, eventually the film uh, takes his twists and turns. But like, honestly, the meat of the movie is really um, this man, like, you know, exploring this relationship with this with this younger man, but also uh, reconnecting with his parents and kind of coming to grips with like, you know, wh what they think about the man that he has become. Uh Guys, it's, it's funny. Like I, I, I planned to do this uh, episode with uh, with John for a while. I knew that he was a big Andrew High guy in advance of talking about bros in 2022 i watched weekend i mean not that those movies have much in common with each other but i knew that movie meant a lot to john and i wanted to watch it and i, I absolutely loved it uh it's probably still my favorite of his movies and uh but also uh i really loved leon pete it was in my top 10 movies of 2017 so i was excited to do this and ben had expressed an interest too i hadn't i had not realized till john told me though that ben was part of the reason john even got into watching andrew high movies so kind of worked out well that i have both of you here so i'm i'm kind of curious and I, I i guess i'll i'll start with you ben because it seems like you might have the longest relationship with this work like um you know uh i guess what do you what because i one thing i think is uh pretty different about his first three movies are all pretty distinct in like their subject matter and the kind of the ground that they cover even if there might be some you could 
see the thematic similarities at the same time in some ways. I'm wondering like what, what, what really like kind of speaks to you about his work generally that he's a filmmaker that you seem to admire. And uh, what did you think when you heard he was tackling something that with the, of, of this concept of this nature of all of us strangers? So one of the things I like about Hai as a filmmaker, uh, he is someone who is very, very good at drawing depth and meaning out of simplicity. Uh, which is sort of interesting to note about all of us strangers. He normally, I, I think is a, like he, his, in terms of like the subject matter he covers, it's very restrained. It is very grounded. It is very human. And all of us strangers is much more ethereal, much more oblique and much more fantastic than his, his usual, usual subject matter. And we'll sort of, get to how successful he was, I think, over the course of the podcast. I do think there are some growing pains. I'm excited. I, I was excited to see him go in this new direction. I did have some concerns about how well he would pull it off. And I do think there are areas where he succeeded and failed. Um, I also didn't look up a ton about the movie. I knew the basic premise. I knew sort of the gist of what it was tonally. And other than that, I've kind of avoided all spoilers before I, I went in. Yeah, so I just knew that like Claire Foy and uh, Jimmy Bell played Andrew Scott's parents. I didn't know anything else. So for all I knew, like this could have just been some family drama where there were a bunch of flashbacks. Like, so I, that's how little I knew going into it. So it's, I had no, if someone had told me it's a, it's a like, I don't know how the first thing that came to mind after seeing it, knowing who he was and what the conceit was like, oh, it's like a ghost story meets weekend or something like that, which is like, if you said that, I've been like, sure, that's interesting. I'll go watch that movie. Uh, but like, I, I really knew nothing else. I'm, I'm glad I didn't know much going in, though. I think we'll all have our own opinions on the, the direction it kind of went in later on. But I was like, sure, like, I'm down for you handling something with with this conceit. Uh, John, what was your, I, I don't know what you learned about it going in, but like, what was your initial reaction to this film and like the, the story why, and why you thought you like had an interest in telling this particular story? Well, to begin with, I was interested that he was kind of going back to queer storytelling for the first time. Cause weekends, 2011, he had, he did the looking TV series, which I think had its highs and lows. Uh, but that was like 2014 through like 2016 or so. Um, and then like, obviously like 45 years is like a, a relationship drama. And then you have lean on Pete, which is like the single like child character as the main character. And so I was really curious what this is going to look like. The only thing I knew is I knew the cast list, I knew the main four. And I knew that Claire Foy and Jamie Bell were playing uh, Andrew Scott's parents, but I wasn't, I, I, I could surmise that it was a dead parents, like talking to your parents at your age kind of thing. I wasn't sure if it was a strange thing or a dead parent thing. Uh, but I had no idea what the uh, Paul Mescal character, like oh. what role he would have in this uh, movie whatsoever. Um, I have a close friend who also kind of, frankly, misled me a little bit before I saw the movie and said that uh, the Harry character was actually less of the movie. And so I was going in thinking he would be like more of a side character. And so it was very interesting to see, like, I think the thing that strikes me the most about this movie is the number of relationships it's trying to balance. That's not really how Andrew Hayes filmmaking or even like TV storytelling has been. It's been about these like, individual like character relationships and i think especially like i think it's true both of weekend and lean on pete uh I, I haven't seen 45 years which is a blind spot of mine but those are based on like they're very modernist storytelling they're very much based in like the small little nuances of interpersonal relationships they're based on like seeing people in a way that like most filmmakers don't and like that kind of like understanding of humanity and just like the number of like 
different things this movie is trying to balance was really interesting to see him try and handle because you have obviously the parental relationships, you have their relationship, you have his relationship to Harry. And so there's just a lot of pieces moving this movie in a way that I thought was really fascinating. Well, so let me ask you then, because I was curious when you said talking about balancing all that, and you said you're also excited to see him kind of return to queer storytelling in some way. I think going in, I think like, I think, I guess I knew there was some kind of aspect to it, but I only like vaguely heard about their press tour where like one of them was talking about how good of a kisser the other was. And I didn't know about, about like how big of the rest of the movie. And I think I'd heard something similar to you about like, oh no, Paul Mescal is not actually in it that much or something. So I guess I was actually also caught off guard, but I'm wondering like, how how did you ultimately think they did do in striking that balance between like telling the story about this? I mean, they're, they're kind of related in some ways because he's obviously trying to you know process how his parents would have come to terms with who he actually was but i'm wondering how, how you thought they did in striking the balance besides telling this queer story but also just telling a story about someone getting to know his parents it is, and it, it well as, as well as you can't answer that question without like you know we're going to try and do a spoiler yeah. section for this yeah i, I thought i i thought it was well done i thought the mm-hmm. the parallels the storytelling did between the way he's still hung up on the the remnants of his parental relationship what he doesn't understand there Kind of like the 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 hanging chads, for lack of a, a less millennial term, of his parental relationship and how that has held him back in this like burgeoning relationship, I thought was really interesting. And I thought you could see the way that as he's like being sucked back in, because that's the one piece that's like unclear is that the story obviously like has this initiating event where he sees his father like in the park, kind of follows him. And so you get the sense this has not been happening for a long time, but at the same time, you get the sense that a lot of what the movie sets up about the uh, Andrew Scott character to begin with is rooted in his own inability to move on and forgive and kind of like progress in his life. And so while this is like a, like, I guess supernatural is probably the right word, like uh, ethereal kind of uh, experience he's having. You get the sense that it's representative of a longer like hang up he's had in his life and the way that it is like almost making him kind of a, uh, for lack of a better phrase, like a ghost in the real world where he's not really engaging with people around him. He's not really open to new connections. And so I thought that while, like I, I, we can talk about the individual characters. I felt like some of the relationships were better fleshed out than others. I, I actually thought the, the Claire Four relationship was better than the Jamie Bell relationship in my personal like opinion. But that said, I thought the nuances of it was really well done. I thought the ability to use small moments and like small interactions to like flesh out larger understandings was really well done. And so while I do think it's a larger like network of people he's managing this movie, I think for the most part, you understand how everyone relates. You understand what their like hopes and dreams and like fears are. And I think you get how they influence one another. And what did you think about that storytelling device and and how it, how it functioned? So to go on one of my usual tangents really quick, because I want yes. to build off something that, that John please do, said. Please do. Something that I think is actually pretty crucial to the way Hai uh, kind of like keeps these, like keeps the thread tied together. There's almost an invisible character in the movie, which is just the city itself. Um, and I think so much of what works about uh, Andrew Scott's character is, is, for, for me, is, is rooted in this sense of isolation, you feel, uh, and this sense of being isolated in urban spaces. It, it's also something like, I, I moved recently, and look, you move into a new building in like a pretty heavily downtown part of a city, there is a feeling of, of isolation, just kind of deep unfamiliarity. You feel almost adrift. You feel like a ghost until you kind of find... Oh. 
your your place. I was going to ask you if there's something hit home a little bit about a guy just staring at a screen trying to write something as you being a guy that lives by yourself who spends a lot of time writing. <laughs> there's that too. Um, we're probably going to get to that more in the other movie we're talking about in the podcast. But there's something about the isolation of, of urban spaces that I think I, I've been thinking about a lot recently just because I also kind of traveled recently and spent some time in some cities that feel more like actual functional cities that are designed to kind of get people kind of among each other and kind of noticing the, the very stark difference between something like that and an American city, like in my case, Los Angeles. It, it is, it was kind of very familiar to me to see just kind of that, that the way the characters are alone together. Um, everyone, people are physically together, but kind of almost compartmentalized. Like the obvious physical device is the way the apart, like the, the way the apartments are shot. Like we see basically these two small boxes that have people in them separated by, again, this kind of, the architecture of the building almost kind of creates a cage. Um, that was one thing that I thought was incredibly well done. And I think for me did a lot to kind of convey uh, Scott's character's internal life um, very well. Going to like the actual uh, question though, it's interesting because it is sort of like the, the kind of device of him going to see his parents. It's arguably supernatural, but there are also certain other things it could have been. And I think one of the strengths at the beginning of the movie is it doesn't kind of pigeonhole exactly what's happening. Because, I mean, look, some other possibilities that the movie kind of immediately raises. We know he is writing a screenplay sort of grounded in, in his own history. There, there is sort of the question of kind of metafiction. Are we seeing on some level... Are we seeing what he is writing? Are we seeing some externalization of the writing process, diving into his own memories? Are we seeing kind of like his writing process on the page, communicated on screen? There are a lot of other things it could be. Is it a dream? Is it something actually physically supernatural? I think there are a lot of possibilities of what it could be. And I think one of the strengths of the movie, especially early on, is that it kind of could be any of those things, but the thing it actually is, isn't what matters. What matters is what it reveals about these characters. What matters is what like High is able to draw draw out about these characters and what's important to them and kind of the important questions they intersect with through this device. That for me is where the movie is at its strongest. And I do think we see it kind of play out in the development of his relationship with the, like Paul Mescal's character very well. I, I, I think it does a lot to kind of show both his initial like his initial isolation and why he might be trying to kind of break through that isolation i think at the beginning and i'm really trying hard not to jump too far to the end here yeah, you're doing good but um i think that initial mystery is something that serves the movie very well you know when it, whenever a movie goes for anything that's like particularly high concept i appreciate when like they can at the same time like let the concept get out of the way i suppose and and like i mean and i guess it's it's kind of debatable how well it sticks the landing on that but like i i, I agree with you it's inarguably like like i, I just found all of those scenes like incredibly moving with the parents and yeah. uh and like did, did, and it seems like you thought those were pretty well executed too with respect to the the claire foy and jamie bell scenes 
Yeah, I mean, look, you can moment to moment, you can like say someone more effective. I would agree that the dynamic with Claire Foy feels richer, but I I liked the scenes with the Jamie Bell character a lot. And I think there's a lot there. It's just, I think for the most part, the territory of the dynamics between those characters felt a little more complex with the exception being, I, I think the moment with Jamie Bell that did feel a, a lot more resonant for me is the discussion, like you you heard me crying, why didn't you walk in? That to me was the moment that felt the most interesting between those characters. There was so much layered in that. And I think so much about the way the movie, the movie relates to kind of expectations of traditional masculinity that never has to be explicitly stated. There never has to be a moment where it's like, oh, well, I want you to be a man. This is what being a man means. But what we need to know about that is just is conveyed subtextually. Um, and that's something that I think High is extremely good at in all of his movies. Yeah, so I, I have seen 45 Years, by the way, and that it, it is kind of more akin to kind of lean on Pete and, and Weekend. So. Yeah, I guess the other thing I'd, I'd add, and I agree about the J, the Jimmy book, I mean, I don't know if I even came across like preferring one of those scenes to the other, but I, I agree that's the one thing that sticks with you from the Jamie Bell scene. And also just like his initial reaction, I think he's like almost worried that his dad's going to have like a, a slightly more hostile reaction to any kind of reveal about his sexuality. And it's, it's more just like one of, you know, I guess, I don't know, kind of like confusion or why you couldn't tell us. And, uh, but at the same time, like some kind of resignation to the fact that like, yeah, I probably was a little too emotionally withholding to have had that expectation. And, uh, so like, I, I, I just thought it was like a very, like, it was, a, it was a very like complex reaction as opposed to just like a, you know, uh, something that was a little more ignorant than, than, and it, it was a little more interesting than if it had just been pure ignorance in response to that and to him, like coming out to his dad. And I, so I just kind of respected that. It kind of took a couple unexpected twists and turns and, and as it did with the mom too, where it's like, I think she, she she's the one that like, is like, oh, kind of like, oh, and then says some ignorant stuff, but doesn't really mean much by it, but it's like, it's uncomfortable in a way that feels, you know, kind of true in some ways. I'm, 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 I'm curious, John, like what about those conversations really like kind of uh, really stuck with you as you're here a couple of weeks after you saw the movie? Yeah. So the, cause the sequences that he, uh comes out to his mom first mm -hmm. and she responds pretty i don't know if poorly is the right word i think it's very it's of the concerned. time that she died in almost it's like yeah it's i mean like you have to imagine this is she they died late 80s so like this is like very much aids panic and so there's a lot of perception there there's a lot of things but like it, it it's a very messy sequence of things where it doesn't go the way you'd want it to and this is i'm sure something he has gone through in his head eight thousand times since his parents passed away of like what would they have said and it doesn't go the way you wanted and then you get to this point where he's he they kind of get to a a place of i guess detente where it's not like it's like i love you and like i trust you on this and like like you are my son but it's also not like i don't think she says exactly everything he wants to hear if that makes sense mm -hmm. and the jamie bell conversation i actually think was more on the coming out, I thought it was more straightforward, but I thought there was a more complex thing about like more like separate from the coming out of just like the you knew how hard my childhood was, you knew what I was going through. Why weren't you there for me? And I think you sometimes have those questions you want to ask your parents of like, why did this happen this way? What was going on here? Like, why why couldn't you do this or did you see this? And like it just there's a messiness to it that I really appreciated and respected about 
the degree to which I think we all realize our parents are like flawed human beings and like doing their best, but also like sometimes the choice is just like, do I have the ability to like handle this? And I think the degree to which it gets to a place that a place of resolution, but I don't think a place of wish fulfillment, if that makes sense. I don't think the Andrew Scott character is getting out of it what he would have dreamed, but I also think he's getting out of maybe what he needs. And so I think it's overall like really affecting. And I think the degree to which his parents are able to kind of understand him to some degree, I think is really nice. I think something that's worth mentioning too about kind of the difference between those coming out scenes. We don't see Jamie Bell's character's like initial reaction to finding out his son is gay when they have that conversation it, it like there is time that has passed outside of the fact that he says it's like oh he suspected with the mother it's the initial reaction it is more of a shock to her so i do think that is something worth considering kind of like the way those conversations work but i i, I think what one of the things i found interesting about claire foy's character in that scene the reaction felt what it felt like is you were watching someone have this version of her of who she expected her child to be in her head and suddenly have that have to replace that and have to replace that kind of fantasy version with someone else even outside of the fact that the specific revelation is my son is gay and this kind of fantasy life i had imagined where he is married to a woman and has this like nuclear family that i had expected for him i i can't picture that anymore there is a very specific, there, there, there is a, I think, just a, a shock outside of that of this image I have of my child is not who my child is. And the way she handles that is not great. It's not what Andrew Scott's character would wish it was. I do think it feels like a believable reaction for that character, even if it's not the even if it's not the ideal fantasy reaction that's completely true i think there is a huge element i like personally experienced this where coming out is a thing that your parents mourn who they thought you were not because they don't like who you are but it's just who they have spent their entire time and i think there's a fundamentally central aspect to this which is that when you are growing up queer and you are in a time when you cannot just like immediately come out at like 12 and just like it's all good there what happens is you you learn to just hide pieces of yourself and you learn to become what people want you to be, not who you are, because that's what's safe and that's what protects you. And there's a huge element to this where I think a huge amount of the emotional impact of the parental relationship here is the fact that what you can clearly tell is the Adam character has already gone through the process of hiding himself. He is, he is hiding the, the piece of himself, whether it's like liking certain things, respecting certain things in a way that his parents don't know him. And this is, I think, a thing you have to go through a lot is like a lot of people I went through this, and I feel like a lot of people I know who went through this were like, once you come out, like you're in your 20s, it's like you almost feel like you're 15 again because you're actually having to like figure out who you are because you have, you've been so busy in fight or flight mode that you haven't had the chance to like process those things and figure those things out. And I think what's so emotionally impacting here is that his parents died before they had any chance to actually know who he was. And so they, they, they fundamentally don't know him. And so there's a piece to this where it's not just the disconnect of having lost him at 12, but it's like, even at that point, how much of the person you knew were you even seeing who he really was? And so there's just like this whole, I think, disconnect both in like the assumptions made, but also in terms of like the presentation and like what the depth of that relationship that I feel like 
a huge amount of the loss comes from just like how little they know about each other, even given all that. Or how little this version of the parents know about the times. Uh, Cause it, it's like this version where they're aware of what happened to them, but they don't actually know what it means to be a person in 2020, whatever this movie set 2023 or whenever the movie is supposed to be set. So like, I mean, I think that's another part of it is like a part of their ignorance, but this shows that it's more ignorance than uh, bigotry or anything. Is that like, they're just like, they're a little worried for him too. Cause they're just like, well, shit, isn't it like, every, isn't everyone just going to like be awful to you all the time? Because that's how it is to be gay. And he, and like you said, he's done a lot of that growing that you already need to do to kind of get over that and understand like, and, and ex- at least get past any like self-hatred for being gay, I guess. But also like he understands that like he can, he knows how to exist in the world as a gay person where he's just in spaces that aren't accounting. Uh, he's not encountering bigotry every day, but his parents just assume that to be the case. So he just kind of has to reassure that. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's in the conversation with the mom where he's like, yeah, no, it's not quite as bad as it used to be. At least like, it's not perfect, but like, I, I, I assure you, like, I'm not just like, you know, I'm not a victim of a hate crime every day. You know, and like, I think like, so that, that's just another version of which is like, they're only able to give him like so much because they only know so much. And I think it's, I, I just thought it was like an interesting way to like have him kind of explain that where it's like, the guy's obviously not well, but maybe not well in the ways they would think, you know? Yeah. But going off that, there is a moment where she asks, like, isn't it so lonely? And hmm. there were just, there are interesting pieces of this where you have. And the, we can talk about the generational stuff. I didn't find it that interesting of like between like, him, between him and Mescal as far as. Yeah, I yeah. just I was like, OK, um, cool. Like gay relationships, gay, gay people, you could be very far along. You'd be far, far past. So like eight differences, I feel like just don't matter that much to me. But in terms of that, I think there was so, so e- e- even if someone was like growing up in the AIDS crisis or like the generation above him was the one affected by it, whereas not so much for Mescal. I just meant more that like the Adam and Harry characters I think there is more that binds you than separates you even generationally in a lot of ways. And like, I don't think that is a age difference that would make anyone bat an eye. And so I, it felt a little bit like he wanted to be cheeky about like Gen Z and have like a little bit of like a, well, in my day, and I was like, okay, uh, I didn't really worry about it too much, but I do think there were some elements of just like the, how much things change, how much they say the same. And I thought it was really interesting the way that like all the things that, Adam is trying to convince his parents that oh all of you are fine, but there are still some things that like there still is like our inherent loneliness is to being queer, and the the things that Harry's dealing with you see that like as much as things change there are still things that stay the same, and I think that's the hard part is like I don't think a movie where the parents are just like homophobic is interesting. I like that's it just that happens for many people in this world. It's a very sad thing, but it's just it just is. I think the fact of a lot of people trying to reassure each other that they're okay. And the truth is that they are sort of there. And the question is like, I am not who you wanted me to be. You are not who I wanted you to be. We do love each other. How much is this divide able to be bridged? And how much do the, how much can like, can we reach a place of peace, if that makes sense? And I just, it was, I think there were different pieces to it in terms of how all the, all, all the things slotted. But I thought it was just really interesting, like, as much as you're going from parents who are from the eighties to like, like this more 20 something um, character, just the thing, the ties that bind, I thought were really fascinating. And, and I think frankly, well done in terms of the more things change, the more they say the same. Ben, anything else on that? I think the one thing I would point to is this, this does speak to like a level of compassion that high has for his characters, no matter who they are, because they are people. And, and I agree that kind of the the very obvious and expected just kind of 
overt kind of homophobic, oh, you are no longer my son, like, it, it, it wouldn't have been as interesting. And it wouldn't, and there, look, there is a world where it could have worked for a different set of characters, but it didn't feel like the right choice for who these people. Um, so I, th I think, again, as as much as I can effectively comment on whether that was handled uh, delicately or well, it seemed to me that it was handled delicately. No, I I, I completely agree. I, and I, I'm not honestly thinking we could probably talk about the resolution of that part of the movie without really the more important spoiler stuff we're being sensitive to, but I don't know if there's that much more to say other than like what, what came before that anyway, you know? And I, uh, so I, and I, and again, I, th I think it did a good job of, you know, lending insight as to who he was and the, the who Adam was and the things he was working through. Um, I said one more thing about before we get to the end kind of spoiler was that I spent a lot of this movie thinking that uh, Harry was going to cheat on Adam. Actually, that was like I was the club scenes and there was a lot of like the, where is he running away? Like on the trains, there was just this energy where I was like, I, I mean, this is, I've never been cheated on. So it's not like a personal thing. It's just more that like in this movie, I felt like there was this element where you had this character that was finally opening up and finally like, like I, I keep telling Josh to watch another round because I'm just like, I feel like the, like re embrace I, I, of the world. I feel like I've watched another round. I, you, okay. Well, I, I think this movie is incredibly a, a podcast on another round. Come on, dude. Okay, well, good. <laughs> I want to talk about another round. I think the idea of like, a set of experiences Soon to be rebooted. Yes. Oh god. We can't. We can't. I saw that. There, there are too many bad reboots happening right now. No, you, you um, know who's doing this reboot, right? I, I do, and I've forgotten it because I did not want that back in my brain. So you can say Chris it. Yeah. Um, yeah. but there I, I got the sense that there was this momentum towards a character re like a character recognizing the things that had always been around them. Of recognizing that there are there is beauty in the humans around you and maybe not be like making yourself open to experiences new people is a really important part of like life and i was really concerned that like a lot of the things that i think we then have seen as we get to it i won't spoil a moment but a lot of like the more concerning things about like where is harry like where like seeing him on the trains and like seeing him like in these pieces i was like i feel like something really bad is going to happen here where he's going to like open up to this one person and then like something is going to happen to like thwart that trust and so that was what was going through my head a lot because i was during the movie i was kind of like i i couldn't imagine that this movie ended with a <sighs> that's not true i feel like a lot of Hayes movies end with relatively like straightforward and like the emotional payoffs are less than like plot twists i don't feel like we get we can just like a very like the journey was the the journey was the destination and we can have appreciated this but the, be done like i don't feel like the lean on pete ending is like anything shocking outside of like that one kind of like big crash scene um it, it feels appropriate given what came before it doesn't yeah. feel shocking within the context of the rest of the movie which i yeah. think is sort of the more important part of what you're saying yeah absolutely um but with this I, my brain was kind of going there's no way that the end point of this is that he gets resolution with his parents and is happy with like his new boyfriend that just felt like very neat and so i was really concerned for a while that there was actually gonna be like a cheating plot where it was gonna be like actually the reason he's looking around for him at the bar and can't find him is that he's gonna like find him with someone else and like given the way it's shot i like and a little bit of the like the horror and like the chaotic aspects i, I think that was not wholly off the mark but that was kind of my question throughout was kind of like how is this where is this gonna go and what are we gonna do with it and so the only the thing i will mention the parent stuff just to wrap it up real quick is like the idea of there being not enough time and like the 
this can't keep going on. You kind of have to be in the real world. I thought was a really interesting element to like, they, they have maybe like four conversations and they finally have a diner scene. And I thought the idea of there was not enough time, there, we couldn't say enough, but we said like at the same time, we got to say what we needed. I thought was really interesting in terms of kind of like bringing that to an end that didn't feel like it was a like a spooky ghost closing a door, but more that like, we've gotten out of this what we needed. Like, let's, I think it's time for you to like stop coming here um, in a way that I didn't feel was forced. Um, and I thought led to a very uh, kind of, we can talk about the di diner scene, but I just thought overall pushing the Adam character over the kind of hump to finish the relationship with the parents, I thought was quite well done. I didn't really have a lot to add on the diner scene. That was why I was saying I was like fine with like, I was more, uh, I thought was what was more important as it came before. Cause I kind of agreed with you. It was like, I didn't necessarily like expect like any kind of, didn't have a strong expectation for how it was going to go. I didn't think it was going to be a, a super happy ending. I was just more appreciating the journey. So, uh, did, did well, so did, did, I mean, look, I think, I think we're it, almost at a point where, sorry, where is, is I think we've already sort of accidentally crossed the, spo the spoiler. Well, I was going to say the only thing before the spoiler point is just the fact that he brings Harry along for one of these visits to his parents. So I think that gets into this forward territory. Was I was yeah, so that's probably the point between I yeah, like yeah, yeah. transition that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I didn't think there was much of a spoiler to say what what happened with the parents. I guess we kind of said it wasn't a happy ending, but like I mean, know. okay, I'm not going to say anything too explicit about why I feel like we may have hinted it too much, but eh, don't then yeah, don't don't worry about it. Like I I, I, I think if you're you're none the wiser really if you haven't seen it probably you kind of know too much. Uh, so uh, I'd say it's a, it's a good jumping off point. I didn't have a ton to add on the him and Harry stuff without going into spoilers section, like you said, especially if, if John didn't think there was a ton else to be really said. And I don't disagree about like, you know, the generational divide and what, what is discussed with respect to that. So I, I think it, it, in order to be more freely discuss everything else, I do want to kind of have a jumping off point though. I, I think again, it, as we've all kind of hinted at, as we've been talking about it, or maybe I'm thinking some about our off the record uh, comments. Like I think, I think all of us think everything that happened up until the point where we're jumping off makes the movie worth seeing if nothing else, you know? And then it seems like, but not just us, but everyone's mileage varies a little bit after that. And, yeah, if you go see the movie, because you should support Andrew High movies or rent it, because at the time people are listening to this, it's not going to be in too many theaters. Uh, you know, then come back and listen to the rest of our talk. You know, so I, I would well, say Mescal's never been hotter. Uh, <laughs> just you know, before before the spoiler. Yeah, 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 yeah. Point. I do think as much as we, all three of us have some serious concerns about like things later in the movie that aren't necessarily on the same level as what came before, mm -hmm. it is still very much worth watching. Yeah, um, you should support Andrew Hive. Just you know that. No, I mean, not just to support Andrew Hive because I yeah, think no, I, I agree. It's false. It is still a very good movie. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, however, it's better than Saltburn. It's so much better than Saltburn. See, see queer movies that are good. Okay, well, I mean, it, it sounds like you your your Saltburn dropped a little bit of your, in your estimation since we saw it, since we talked about it, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The entire world saw Saltburn and <laughs> eight thousand times. There, there, there you go. Okay, let, let, let's keep it moving. Uh, yeah, so uh, into the spoiler section. Um, oh gosh. Uh, so you know, as as um, what, I can't remember which one of you guys said it two minutes ago, but like at some point, um, Adam brings uh, Harry on a trip to see his parents, and uh, uh, shocker, there is uh, no one there, and not that not that we were kind of expecting that, but things even like. Uh, 
kind of devolve a little further because of the way uh, the, the the way that uh, Adam is kind of reacting in that situation, and it, 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 it's it's clear that something is a little more off with him than we had come to previously realize based on how he was acting in those moments, not just to the fact that there's no one at the house, but then uh, you know we come back and uh, turns out maybe there wasn't as much to that relationship with Harry as we had thought either. Um, I'm wondering, uh, I'm wondering, John, like what you, what was your initial reaction to these, to these different revelations about, Hey, what, what was actually going on in Adam's mind? Was it something you kind of like, did you kind of guess where it was going beforehand or were you kind of still a little caught off guard by the twists and turns this took in the final act that really, and what about it kind of like, didn't sit super well with you? Cause I know like it, you felt like it kind of, you know, uh, spoiled the movie a little bit for you in some ways. Yeah, I guess this is to say, so this sequence of events is that he's coming back as you said you kind of had a feeling it wasn't going to be a happy ending i had a feeling of that but so he i i'm forgetting the exact details of this but he's going back and he goes to harry's apartment which is unlocked for some reason goes inside and like there's clearly a there's an awful stench and then he finds harry dead in his bed with for, a split, sec- for, for a split second i thought he had, he i thought he i thought he just like I, I still it didn't click with me as soon as it stood there, so I was like, "Oh shit, did Harry kill a guy?" <laughs> I thought that for a second, and, and I, thought, I was like, oh, "I thought he had someone like... else in his bed for a second. Yeah, I yeah, thought he I was like, I like, I once you see the hand with the ring, I was like, "Okay, this is like movie stuff, cool. Like, this is what's happening." But for a second there, and like what we what I mentioned before about the another round idea of the idea of a set of experiences that make you want to re-engage in the world and like be a person and like be happy and the idea that that never existed the idea that whatever was happening here was either always in his head like the other thing to mention is that the bottle that's in his like the dead harry's hand is from the first night that like they knocked on the door and so like the timelines i can imply it is that harry did knock on his door as a real person and then went home and dragged himself to death and died there. The other possibility that, that is, is the that, implication. Yeah, that was what I thought I th- too. I think there is a possible reading that that first knock on the door, Harry was already dead, and that was like his ghost, like be drunk, reaching out. I like that interpretation better because that implies that Adam closing the door did not kill him. Um, and so I like I prefer that. I don't think that's the the sequence. I like that reading better too, but I don't think like I think for me it felt pretty clear that like the way the movie framed it is that first knock on the door is Harry's last desperate reaching out for like someone to see them. Well, at the same, so I, yeah. I, I, the other thing too is like, I mean, I guess, are we supposed to just accept that like, that they are, that this is a new building, that they're the only two that were actually living there at that point? Cause it's like, it, it, it almost makes it feel like that's not as much of a reality as you think once, once you have the revelations at the end, it's like, how real was like any of this? Is it realistic that like, these are literally the only two dudes living in that building? I, I so I wasn't sure like how much I was supposed to just accept that, that like even their, their living situations. I don't think it's even necessarily clear that they really are the only ones living there. It's just, it feels that way. To me. Okay. Yeah. makes sense too. Um, yeah. I also like, like again, I lived apart. as someone who's I'm, in a new building right now, when you I'm, don't know anyone who lives in the building, it sort of feels like you're alone in this kind of massive structure, but like might as well have no one else there. Until you get to know people. I guess what I will just say overall is I spent a good bit of time trying to like hoe it the the details and trying to like make sense of it because a lot of the press and a lot of the things that have been suggested is that this is like a hopeful ending. And I just I just can't I can't get there. I, I, I it doesn't feel that way at all to me. This feels like probably some of the like the saddest ending I've ever seen for a movie, like in a lot of ways. And so 
to me, I, I could try and tell you I've like worked out more of the, the exact chronology stuff like that, but like it felt very fruitless to me. This felt like a decision that was made with a structure of a movie in mind and not necessarily a character journey. And I can't really figure out like where does this leave Adam at the end? Um, and, and I think that like a lot of the journey of forgiveness and growth, I think is very hard to rectify with not just the idea that Harry was dead for this entire relationship, but that he's then like the last scene is him like getting into bed with Harry and just like cuddling him. And I'm just like, oh, so we're, we're, we're just going backward here. And so I, I, the ending hurt. It just did. I, I think the way a friend of mine described it, uh, it's suddenly it becomes an episode of the Twilight Zone. And, and I think sort of what we've all been alluding to, but sort of what, what I was referencing earlier, this is the first time that uh, Andrew, Andrew High has kind of dealt with narrative territory that is this ambiguous, genre-based, and elliptical. And I think that there, there was some discomfort in how to kind of keep that in line with the incredibly grounded specificity of what he normally does. And, and I think part of my problem with that la with that entire last 20 minutes, it, it ends up feeling too literal. And when you were trying to literalize something that is so fantastic, the emotions sometimes get muddy and it doesn't entirely work in the way it's supposed to. I agree that that ending, in terms of how hopeful it felt, I, I think the movie wants us to feel like it's hopeful. I think the emotion that it wants to leave us with is this power of love and connection to kind of bridge the gap between life and death and in a grand cosmic world of everything, love is important enough to feel seismic, even if it is the product of these pieces of cosmic dust in the soup of the universe. But I think that even if that's what the movie wants us to be left with, when we actually think about what we're watching, it doesn't quite ring as true as it it should. Yeah, I kind of agree with your point about it becoming too literal. Because I was, I wanted to shout out my friend uh, Hannah, who's a, uh, a a past guest of the podcast. Uh, she, in her letterbox review, she she said, "I don't need or want an explanation of what exactly is happening. The dream logic of the scenes with the parents is really effective." But by the end, I was kind of thinking, "Wait, how did we get here?" Which, I mean, again, I don't know how how fair that is, but I think with the way they decided to like tell that part of the story, like it it just kind of maybe begged the question, like, oh wait, you're asking me to think about this too literally at this point for me to, and I'm getting too caught up in this, and like uh, exactly like what happened at what point, like which, which of these trips to the house was real, like uh you know like was he actually on the train that whole time, like how how did this happen, like was he actually at that club with uh was he actually at that club with Harry at any point, and like and, and obviously not, like I think like you're supposed to probably take that take it as like yeah he was dead pretty soon after that first time he came up to his apartment. But like, it just like, I kept thinking about the mechanics of the plot too much in a way that I just didn't for the first, like 85% of the movie, you know? It also doesn't take the time to, this could have been more meted out where it was like, he starts to realize he has the conversation and maybe the relationship with Harry over the last like hour of the movie is kind of similar, like parallels the parents where it's like, I am learning about myself, but this is also someone that I care about and I want to like help like get across the finish line. Like I I, I don't think it's super helpful for just like rewrite movies. I think there are versions of this where you could do like a actually this was all like in his head and like goes back to that first night and makes a different choice. Like there are different ways you could do this, but I think the combination of how sudden it is and how movies try and surprise us and can do interesting things 
by like subverting our expectations. But I think this goes so far against, I think what we are rooting for or hoping for, or I think emotionally the journey we're going on that I think it like really kicks the legs out from under us at the end. And so I think it's hard to like, to get around to an idea of like the connection of uh, things and stuff like that. And I think the more you dig into it, I think the harder it becomes to like get to that place as you kind of examine it more and like the, the grounded nature of it just doesn't, it doesn't work in that way. Yeah. It, it's, it feels like the ending of a different movie almost narratively and totally stapled onto something we've been watching. I agree. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you were about to say something else, Ben, so then I kind of... Yeah, no, I mean, it's just... It, this was a really frustrating movie for me. Because, um, mm-hmm. again, I, I... Like, something I think we've all been very clear on, from, like, up until the point where it takes a turn, it, th- this is... Very rich. It's very rich and it feels, and I was excited because it felt like a filmmaker pulling off something I didn't expect them to pull off. This is new territory. This is a murkiness that I didn't expect from Andrew Kahn. But it, it again, it, just, it, it felt too clumsy, too literal and too, it, it, it's not that like it was a, it's not that it was entirely a bad thing to play it as a twist, but I, I I don't think the movie like I I don't think the plot was as important as as the emotions we were dealing with and I just I I wish it was done a different way not one specific way there are any number of different directions the movie could have taken it just this did not feel like the right one for me and I was, was is there is there like a an ideal version of to stick the landing to this that immediately came to mind to you as oh I wish you'd done I mean, that look again truthfully I don't even think it needed to give us like a literal answer for everything we're watching which is yeah no I agree good, what I would have preferred I mean look there was also I mentioned a lot of other possibilities of what I thought could have been happening like as I was watching one one big one is if any character was going to be revealed to be dead. I thought it was more implied that it was Andrew Scott's character. And this was some sort of pur- like purgatory. But again, even that, like as a revelation at the end, like I I don't I I, just, I don't think the right choice was to fixate on what exactly was happening. And I think, first off, that moment of that moment of him bringing uh Harry to his parents' house for the first time, it felt like a very literal and ground depiction of a haunting and i think playing it that straight as a genre ghost story in that moment it it, it just i don't know I, I i i just wish it was done differently it, there's uh, also a, a devastating concreteness to it like i we have one very precise example that like to this day i think about it, like i just want to start crying is it's not just that harry died it's that no one found him yeah and there are like so many pieces of like the like the the loneliness and sadness of these characters that like you could do that he goes to Harry's door and there is like a medical examiner thing on the door and the apartment's empty. There are ways to do that in ways that are not so devastating to these characters that have been through so much. And like we don't need to get into like all the the ways that queer people deal with mental health and all those kind of things, but like it's just so sad. And it's so sad on so many levels where like, I felt like it was hard for me to like, not just be devastated for the Harry character, for the Adam character and what he's perceived to have lost or never had. And just getting there from 
the parent stuff that is messy and complicated, but like the parents didn't hit me that hard. There were bits and pieces where I felt like emotions about it. And I felt like it was very well done, but I didn't feel like it was like, it wasn't like a soap opera. It was, I think, very measured in that way and very grounded and in a way that I think the emotions didn't have to make you like sob in the theater, like from the conversations to feel them and like feel like it was well done. And then you get this like truck hitting you. And so for me, who had been like in the emotional journey and like really enjoyed it, really like thought it was like profound and thoughtful to then get this just like Mack truck, like hitting you across the side for the last 15 minutes. I was just like, oh Jesus. And like, I, I there are some pieces of this that I would be curious to go back and look at the, like the thing it's adapted from, because it seems like that is much more of a ghost story than what he did here. And so I do wonder if they're just pieces he put together that he thought would work in a certain way or be perceived in a certain way and had like an ending in mind, like, and then when it all put together, maybe was just too close to it to see like how people perceive it. Because I don't think, I don't think the reaction we're having here is like a unique reaction. I think no. that oh, like, I think a lot of people love this movie in spite of the ending. Mm -hmm. And I think that is probably where I'm at as well, like between liked and loved. But I, I think like, I just think the really hard part for me is the idea of like, I think it puts some culpability on Adam in ways in terms of like the fact that he turned him down, like feels like an inciting event for like the Harry character to have committed suicide in some or drank, whether it's active or, or passive in terms of like the choice, but to have drank himself to death. It's hard right. not to feel like there is some causality there in like, mm -hmm. I feel like the movie sets up pretty clearly, like, as we talked about like that linearity. And so, I just was having trouble figuring out like is is the whole point that Adam never really existed or he's just like was he always like kind of a ghost in the way he was going through the world and maybe being among ghosts is the place he should be like I don't know what it is like but it felt like I almost would have I think the the literalness what I'm trying to get at is just the literalness of it and the the how devastating those details are I think makes it so hard to feel like there's a more broader ethereal kind of like endpoints getting to when you're just like mourning all these characters anew for like the last 10 minutes. I think part of the issue isn't just that it's kind of a very sad note for these characters to end up on is that we didn't really get to sit with the reality of that. Uh, it's again, it's we have like one scene of, oh, this is the twist. This is the scenario, incredibly sad ending. And, and I think, again, there's a direction where if we find, found that out much earlier in the movie and we actually get to sit with the reality of what this means to the characters and actually honestly get to know Harry as a character a lot more because truthfully, like we haven't really up until that point. And so I, that's, that's, I think, part of why that incredibly like tragic choice for the character feels as blunt and kind of Un uncomfortable as it does because we don't actually get to it, it, it just it doesn't feel well situated in kind of everything else that we're seeing um i don't know something something else i kind of wanted to kind of come back to i, I go off that sorry real know. quick oh sure the, yeah with the harry character also the movie seeds in a lot of like the clear four characters like that boy has darkness in him there's a lot of pieces here where like there's another version of that scene where Adam comes in and catches Harry in the middle of like an attempt or something like that. And like, can say like, I obviously I think that's a little too dramatic for what this movie trying to do, but it's seeding those pieces. And so the idea of, oh, this is a person that I'll have to protect to then find out that actually that 
was never a thing I even could do in some way. I think it's just really hard because there's like, I actually think the Harry character is incredibly well fleshed out. I felt like I, I knew him. I felt like I understood this character. I felt like it felt so lived in, in a way that I don't feel like the Adam character was as much. I feel like the Adam character and that's part of like the being like not really like living in the real world. I feel like the Harry character was by far the like most fleshed out, the most lived in, the most, there was so much nuance to that character. There were so many little pieces. There was so much work and verve and like flame to that character. And so I was thinking it'd be like, now that I've learned from my parents, this is a person I can go and protect and like be their person for. And to just have all of that kind of kicked out from under you, I just, anyway, go ahead, Ben. No, and I, I think that's a fair point. I, I think, first of all, more of that has to deal with performance than I think what the movie actually gives us. I think Paul Mistral, like elevated that role a lot more than the role itself necessarily deserved for me. Fair. Um, yeah. Because I, I do agree, just come from a performance standpoint, he makes Harry feel real and lived in. I do think it feels somewhat... It, again, it, it doesn't necessarily feel of a one with the way that character ends up. But again, it's just, it, it feels the clumsiness is, is the issue for me more than anything else. One thing I did want to kind of touch on though, I'm just, I'm not sure. I, I think the, the I, I wouldn't use the word culpability for Adam kind of not, uh, kind of reaching his hand out when Harry was reaching out to him and kind of saving saving him from his attempt. And I don't even like using Yeah, because you don't you don't you don't you don't owe a stranger passage into your apartment. No, because I, I think part of what is interesting about that and why I I was more okay with that first moment being real. We don't know what everyone around us is going through. And on some level I think it is very easy to feel responsible, not just for all of the, like for all of the wrong you've done, but for all of the good that you have not done. Um, and to blame yourself for every moment someone reached out and you didn't know, and you didn't take the step to help someone who needed your help. I think it's very easy to fall into that trap, but I think that is in itself a trap. And I think with Adam specifically, look, this is someone who himself like at this point when we have when we and harry have met him he isn't someone who really feels equipped to reach back out and i think it's not just that you know there's a culpability that oh if he should have reached out to someone who needed his help he wasn't able to this is someone who at this point is is not fully equipped to let someone else in like that and part of there like you you need to be able to offer yourself up to someone to let someone in and i think he is struggling with being able to do both of those things yeah um, i don't think of it as culpability the character is like responsible for anything that happens for me it's more the sadness of like that he couldn't be that person that moment and that was like that was the ships. There was no second chance in that. Like yeah, that was and, and that's fair. It's just, I, I think I just I struggled with using the word culpability in that. Yeah. Context. Yeah. He, he, he reached out to the, he reached out to the he reached out to I don't, 
the wrong the wrong person at the right time the wrong person at the right time because it was the right time for him to reach out to someone or the right, right person, person at the wrong time one, well, it's one or the other it's just you know very unfortunate and that's just what happened you know yeah yeah it's it's not as simple as that the adam character should have or even i don't think even could have i don't think that character was like able to i think it's just the sadness of this is actually a place where weekend hits me hard and like this movie also hits me hard is the idea of what about the people you met at a time when you just couldn't have been open to that? And like, what about the missed opportunities? And that's something I think about a lot. Um, and with this movie, I think the sadness there is not that like any character necessarily like, could have done anything. I think it's more the structure of the movie that yeah. the movie setting up that that's the only chance that there was and the character couldn't have done that. And then when he is able to, it's already too late. And so I think it's more a structural thing in terms of for me the sadness of that already being passing and like like let's just take the ending as is and let's say what if they put on a scene at the end where he goes into the apartment he finds that he's dead they have like a heart to heart he like takes a picture of harry like hanging on his wall and the ending point is like i was able to like be this person for you even if like this ethereal way I want these things in my life. I, I'm sad we couldn't have been this in real life. And like the last moment is him like going out to like a bar by himself or something like that. And just like him kind of stepping back into the world, like be, being less of a ghost. Like there's a way to have this relationship be something that brought him forward, but I can't see it as being that last like scene just in the bed with a song over them. I feel like there's got to be some like existing in the real world without ghosts kind of thing. Because he doesn't talk to a real person. I, I, I wouldn't go in the direction of like kind of a, a grace note. But yeah. there needed to be something more. There needed to be some indication of like how this has actually stuck with him or how he has actually grown that I think the yeah. ending didn't really give us. Like I think Fair. something we keep coming back to. It's not that the pieces individually were bad. It it's just kind of the like the way they work together within the context of the movie, especially towards the ending. It, it's just the it feels clumsily put together more than any specific choice being itself bad. I, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that uh, for sure. I know, uh, John. Any other final thoughts on All of Us Strangers before we wrap up? Go watch Weekend. Not enough people have seen Weekend. I, I am fascinated by where Hay will go next because this is clearly a step up in terms of the cast he's getting. Obviously, these are like several like Oscar nominees, like very well known people. I think in terms of like this is very much an ambitious leap and. I have gotten the sense that he is someone who I think chafes at being a, just telling queer stories. So I, I would be surprised if that's what he does next. I think he's kind of like dabbled in and out of it over time. But I am I will be fascinated to see like what he does with this. Because I do think as much as like it didn't do as well the Oscars would have liked and like those kind of things, I think still this will be perceived as like a, a clear like like check clearing in terms of like the I think the movie has been well regarded. It's met a lot of lists. And so I'll just be curious where it goes next. Um, that said, Andrew Scott deserves a lot. Like, I I think the one thing that I think we haven't touched on enough here is just the, the this is why he works on so many things, but the Andrew Scott inherent sadness, but also like verve and energy and like charisma and just all the things, like all the pieces he puts together that are so not contradictory, but like, they, like vibrate together just the way he like builds characters is really fascinating i think this movie i think it would be very hard for someone else to be at the center of and i think all the pieces he meets together are really well done 
Um, he's a very versatile yeah. performer, you know, like he's, yeah. I think a lot of people first kind of came to know him when he played Moriarty and Sherlock. Um, and also, but then, but Fleabag. then like Fleabag. Yeah. Yeah. But then, I mean, Fleabag is a different kind of character. And then he was like, what he was like, kind of like secondary Bond villain. And then he's this, and now he's about to, then he's this, which is something totally different. Now he's about to go be what Ripley in some kind of Netflix adaptation too. Like he's just all over the place. Yeah. Like it's, it's, but it's very impressive because he's believable in everything he does, you know? So Ben, any final thoughts on all of us strangers? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I do agree that if any single piece of this uh, deserved more recognition, it would be uh, Andrew Scott um, mm -hmm. would have easily been on my five for best actor and in, not to kind of target any specific performances that did get nominated, but I do think he should have been there. Um, overall, I this is probably my least favorite Andrew High movie that I've seen. It's still very, very good, still very worth watching, and the highs are still incredibly worth it. It's not a movie that makes me worried about what's going to come next to He is trying new things. He is trying to push himself into new territory. And even if it didn't fully work here, Sometimes you learn by doing things clumsily the first time. And I still have a tremendous amount of faith in him as a filmmaker. And I, I think that even if it didn't do as well at the Oscars, it is a movie that I think has done well enough that I, I agree with John. I don't think it'll be six years before his next movie this time. Yeah, clearly uh, actors like him working with a different class of actor and this movie got enough yeah. critical acclaim that like, you know, yeah, it hope he has enough juice to get something made in less than seven years. Yeah. So, uh, John, uh, uh, first of all, I should say I'm looking forward to you, given all the hand wringing we just did about the ending of this movie. I'm looking forward to you watching 45 years because it might have one of the best final shots. I, I just watched it for the first time like two weeks ago, but it might have one of the best final shots of any movie I've watched in the last five years. It seems like, Ooh. Ben, you might have, you might it, agree it with us. It is probably my favorite of his, I'll say. Oh, okay. I, I I still think I probably like Weekend better, but like I, I couldn't really tell you the, exactly the note that Weekend ended on, whereas like I think 45 Notes just has like an, an iconic final scene, and I'm very curious to hear what you think when you watch that. But do you have anything else you'd like to rec recommend, recommend to the listeners in addition to just telling them to watch Weekend, which is on Criterion? Well, so one thing we just... I, I, we, we've already talked enough. I would just say I think there's some really interesting parallels in Weekend about like what a relationship can mean to people without it being for the rest of their life, and it's interesting to think about how that that movie ends on a grace note in a way this movie purposely does not or like, or it thinks it does whatever. But I think there's some really interesting like storytelling choices there. Um, the only other thing I will say is like one movie that did not do well at the Oscars. That is the one that I cannot get out of my head. And I don't know if it's like, I, it's to the point where I might just do like a, a Todd Haynes completely like binges. December is one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, that movie's incredible. Um, mm. And I would strongly encourage it because every single scene made me, like do a double take and like it's like succession but like you want to tear your hair out and like it's it's just like so what did you mean by that you put that in your uh, letterbox review. what did you mean by it's succession what I, what I mean by that is that every single scene not only like succession is built around like these big moments of characters and it's not just like the big moments in the, the plot of their lives but like in the character development of how they interact and how they're working like the things they're going through and all of these little meetings of the of whether it's Julianne Moore or Charles Melton or like all these things there's like so, every single scene is such a banger you have mm. like Charles Melton on the roof you have like in the pet shop there's just every single moment there are just so many lines that if you pulled them out by themselves and just like put them on a mug people would lose their minds like it's so well written it's so tight it's so well acted and I think it's like clearly like got an idea of where it's going i just i adored it ben did um, you see may december uh it's todd haynes best narrative film in a very long time hmm, uh, okay. i loved it 
Okay, good to know. Uh, I it, it's just outside of my top ten, but I I thought it was really really good for a lot of the reasons John's talking about. But it's it it is it is complex without ever really needing kind of like resolution. It, it's it is all about building tension of ideas of character dynamics, and it avoids. It avoids full catharsis in exactly the right way. I think Julianne Moore probably would be my winner for Best Supporting Actress last year. Wow. Um, but everyone is everyone does incredible work. This is the Todd Haynes of Safe and Far From Home. I've like actually never, and I've never seen those. I need to watch the early Todd Haynes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just very briefly, I'll just say the thing that works the best for me is the Natalie Portman character coming in, like, there's this idea in science about like you can't observe a system without changing it and the way that she comes in and because of her presence the entire like facade slowly crumbles and like it makes it not that you're trying to force a narrative film to like make all these things happen in a way that just seems unnatural it's that by the presence you have this entire thing that's like slowly shattering it's just it feels so it's so concrete so well done i just i i will be thinking about that movie for a long time and I'm not shocked the Oscars didn't like it, but I adored it. So, all right, uh, John. Uh, people can find you on Letterbox at JL Police. Uh, anything yes. else you want to plug besides that? I mean, my Twitter's the same. Um, my graduate work is is out, so if you want to read that, go for it. But um, yeah, uh, <laughs> Twitter's the same. Um, you should do. It. I, think, I, I think I think I think watching Weekend would be a more fun use of the time than reading your graduate work, but that's just me. I'm not a big science guy, you know. Uh, that's totally but, fair. But th thank you for the time, John, and we appreciate it. Thanks. And Ben and I are back. Thank you for John for joining us. But he had to jump off because a fire. Our next film is not one that he has had the chance to watch yet, though. I'm eager to get his thoughts on it because I uh, I, th I think it actually is something he'll he'll enjoy once he sees it. But A Fire is the newest film from uh, German writer, director Christian Petzold. Uh, he's had a, a few other films in the last like five years, including Undine and uh, Transit, which is the one that I have seen. I watched that for the first time last year. Uh, this this movie reunites him with uh, actress Paula Beer, but also uh, I, but also uh, Thomas Schubert is uh, kind of plays the lead. He plays a plays a character named uh leon uh he and his he and his friend felix are uh off to a uh kind of just off to like a kind of like a a house that's owned by one of uh of felix owned by felix's family that's like off on the kind of the edge of germany and uh right on the water there's a beach not far by and they want to kind of escape to kind of like focus on their work uh leon is a writer uh and uh felix is a is, is he a he's a photographer right um, yes. And I think, believe, yeah, he's a photographer. And the, the, the point of this is like, you know, they have the opportunity to use this house to kind of get away and focus on this. But then they kind of come to learn that a, 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 a co-worker of Felix's mom has promised another room in the house uh, to uh, to a co-worker co of hers or, or, or a, a, the niece of a co-worker of hers. Her name is Nadia, played by uh, Paula Beer, who's a frequent collaborator uh, with Christian Petzl. She was also in both Transit and Undine. Uh, and, uh, it's as they, as these people kind of come together at this, at this house, they, uh, there's another character kind of, uh, comes into the fray. His name is David or David, but it's spelled D-E-B-I-D. He uh, may or may not have some kind of relationship with, you know, uh, with Nadia, but also kind of ingratiates himself, uh, within the group as well. But just, 
uh, ten, ten, tensions kind of flare because uh, Leon is, you know, just not exactly like the most content person in life and doesn't seem to kind of get along with other people well. And as these people spend this time at this house, it just, uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a pretty small movie with only a couple locations. Uh, but they uh, it really uh, becomes a pretty powerful as you watch these people interact differently. And as uh, P- Felix just gets or Leon just gets more and more upset with himself as he kind of struggles to write a book, even as his uh, literary agent just kind of shows up on the scene to kind of help him out. And that t- turns into its whole other corner of the movie. Uh, ben, this is something that had been on your radar for some time. I know, uh, you know, in Ben fashion, you're, you're, you're still down to talk about something like this seven months after it comes out. It's been about a month since I've seen it, but I'm, uh, as, as I saw it, I kind of, I was kind of curious because as we talked about a little bit on the, um, uh, all the strangers pod, I mean, look, this is uh, something that focuses on a writer that's trying to, uh, you know, here is writing a book and all the stranger is writing a story. And I was going to kind of, uh, as I was thinking about watching this, I was like, and watching, I'm like, Oh, you know, I, I'm not that like Ben can't appreciate a movie in which he doesn't relate to someone, but this, this writer character just seems like, you know, has a different disposition from Ben. And, you know, and, 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 and as you, as you so eloquently put in your letterbox review, like you are not going to not go to the beach with a beautiful woman that asks you to put your manuscript down. This is just like the, this is the most, you know uh, this is just like one of the most like this, sourpuss of a character as you might have seen in any movie that came out in 2023 that this movie is centered on is he's not a fun hang though i wouldn't say the movie is a tough watch so i'm wondering as you watch this as a creative person uh in what ways did you most appreciate this movie was there something about the writer aspect of it that really appealed to you or is it more just like kind of like what christian petzel felt like saying about just like you know the human condition like what, what what were the ways in which you really really kind of why did this movie work so much for you i know it's pretty high up there in what you saw in 2023 so there's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, just just to spoil it now, yes, I, I love this movie a lot. Until mm-hmm. I saw a previous podcast episode, Favorite Boy in the Heron, it was my mm-hmm. movie of the year. Mm. I actually kind of want to talk about Leon as a character a little bit because mm-hmm. it's interesting. He's working on a manuscript called Club Sandwich. That was, that was why I joked about Ben having a script called Tuna Melt at the beginning of the movie. I mean, it is just kind of clear every time you hear him talk about the script, which uh, Nadia like keeps kind of egging him on to let her read and it's just she's being so nice to him and he's just not reciprocating it and it just and he's kind of condescending because he doesn't know her background it's but it's like every time you hear something about this thing that he's writing it just does not sound good no so here's here's the thing leon is not me <laughs> leon is not any single other writer but there is an element of leon i think in everyone because the piece that is significant in him is rooted in fear it is sort of going to something we talked about in the all of us strangers podcast It is a fear of exposing himself fully and kind of as a opposite piece of that of letting the world in and i think something significant that i'm not going to talk about the specific specifics of because it does virgin spoiler territory leon himself is who he is more than who he is at his worst so i think There are a lot of pieces of Leon as a character that I did actually relate to. It's not who I like to think I am for the most part. It's not who I am in every moment of my day, but there is still, there is a piece of Leon in me, just as there is in most people, because I think it is natural to be afraid and it is natural to take action based on that fear. Sometimes you have to remind yourself not to do it, but I don't know. I found Leon... uh, as unlikable as he is for most of the movie, and oh boy, is he unlikable. He is genuinely one of the least likable main characters I have seen in a movie in a very, very long time, in in, in a way that I, I thought was just beautiful. 
But <laughs> my experience with him as a character and with the movie as a whole is interesting. And it sort of relates to how I feel about Petzold, who is one of my favorite living filmmakers. Every time I see one of Christian Petzold's movies, I have the exact same reaction to, to the extent that it has now become like something that I should expect to happen. Ah, oh, damn it. Why are you making Franz Rogowski too big of a star to be in my movie? Well, that too. Um, <laughs> so look, I'm glad he actually took took a movie off from working with, with that Franz Rogowski. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's funny. On, on the one hand, because uh, Franz Rogowski is one of my favorite working actors and he is someone who like I am desperate to work with someday. Uh, I am on some level rooting for some of the bigger movies he's in right now to fail. Uh, just because, just on, on on the vain hope that, you know, he might be desperate enough to to take a chance in kind of a random indie project from an American filmmaker. Uh, I don't think they will, will fail, especially because he's a great actor. But, you know. Um, okay, so getting aside, every Christian Petzold movie, I have the exact same reaction. I, I watch it, and I like it. But I think, you know, this is a good movie, but it feels like a very minor Christian Petzold. It's not, gonna, it's not one of his masterpieces. And then I can't stop thinking about it. And it becomes something that, as minor as it felt when I watched, I can't get out of my head. And his movies sit with me and grow with me. And the more I think about them, the more I find in them, the more they reveal about me to myself. And I think that is one of the beautiful things about art. Art is more than just something that gives us an immediate an immediate experience that is exactly what we feel in that moment. It's something that grows with us. Art is meant to stick with us. And and Petzold's films do that. And every single one of his movies, as as much as I feel like I like them but don't love them when I see them for the first time, they end up sticking with me and growing into something more. It happened with uh Phoenix, it happened with Barclay, it happened with Transit, it happened with Undine, and it happened with A Fire. I've only seen Transit, but I can kind of see how that might happen. I mean, and the part of that is probably just like, you know, the creeping specter of fascism feels a little close to home given, you know, things that happen in our world today. But like, you know, I I, I, could, I, I, could, I could certainly see why that'd be the case also for A Fire right? and, and why it's like something that like, you know, needs to sit with you. Yeah. No, this was a movie. Like I, again, I liked it when I saw it. It was probably in my top five for the year. Um, but then the more I thought about it, the more depth and beauty I found in it. And it's funny. Um, I, I went on uh, a trip last year, uh, sort of alluded to it in the All of Us Strangers half of the podcast. Um, it is the first, first time I've left the country since COVID. And travel is something that means a great deal to me and has always meant a great deal to me. And I didn't realize how much I missed it and how much it makes me feel like the most alive version of myself. And so there was something about being in a foreign country as a writer, thinking through life and thinking through what I find valuable in life and where I feel most myself. Um, a fire ended up resonating with me even more. And I think there are very few movies I've seen recently that have been more important for me to see when I did. Is that because it's like with a fire though, it's like, again, like, obviously like I, I see what you're saying, how there's like a part of Leon that like probably in every single writer. And that's not the part of you that you want to, um, that you want to give yourself over to, but is it kind of like seeing a fire also kind of makes you realize like, you know, 
how you want to live your life because you don't want to live it like that guy. There's a piece of that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the other piece of it, and again, not going to go too deep into specifics here because this does work in some spoiler territory, but part of what is significant about the movie is like, look, these pieces of who you are at your worst, they don't have to be, they are not all of you. And you do not have to feel trapped by who you are at your worst. You can find a path out of it. And, and I think that piece of it, because I think it, it, it is a very natural thing for people to feel shame for, for who they were at certain points in their life or for elements of who they were. And, you know, I, I think a fire uh, at, at its best um, serves as a reminder that sometimes all it takes to not feel trapped by those feelings is just to choose to be different. And it helps to have people who kind of call you on your shit and force you to be different. But well, so okay, yeah. so no, I agree with that. And because I mean, in theory, throughout this movie, the Najee character is like just being presented as that potentially that person for Leon. I mean, he won't, but he seems to kind of like hate himself and not want to give himself over to the, to like uh, possibly living his life in a different way. But she is there, and he will not really accept her kindness. Uh, you know, I, I I guess there's not ever really that release. You know, I think at the you know it's like you know and i think it's at some point through the end like it's just well well no now i'm getting this more territory too i'm i'm not i i don't i, I mean I, I don't we can I, agree to circle back to to this yeah 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 for sure i, I i'd say yeah it's, it's hard to do without talking about the end we should also if nothing else though it's like i what i think is really cool and i think one thing I, I can do to not spoil it is just like you say without spoiling it even if the character plays a bigger part in the second half is i is one thing is i also just like appreciated the literary agent character i, I hold on i don't have his yeah. name in front of me at the moment helmet uh, oh, helmet helmet yeah is yeah. played by uh matthias brandt uh I, I really like that character and like kind of the purpose he served because like i think you're conditioned to almost think that like within this movie like some kind of like you were obviously led to believe that like man leon is like uh not quite the hot shot that he aspires to be and it might just be like one of the lesser guys on this guy's client list and this guy's going to make this trip to like obscure part of Germany to like talk to this one guy about finishing this book that doesn't sound that good. And you're almost led to believe he's going to like be giving off the air of being like too much of a big shot to like actually like give these people the time of day. And, and then ultimately it's like, no, that guy's actually like a, a nice person that like wants to like actually like see people for what they're worth and takes the time to have real conversations with Felix and Nadia in a way that like, leon just refuses to and i just thought that was like such an interesting contrast with, with those two characters that are like you know they're essentially the ones that are like there to work with each other but their their approaches to life are so different that like it's it's just such a, like a a stark contrast and i upended my expectations for like what a literary agent would be in any movie almost you know and it was just like wow like you know it, this guy seems like so much more at peace with himself and happier that he will just like open himself up to have connections with other people and genuinely ask them about themselves because one of the more memorable moments of the movie was when he tries to call Nadia out. I, I don't care about spoiling this part about like, you know, like not telling him, not, not telling him that he's not, that, that she's like a PhD student in some kind of literary field. And, and she's just like, well, you didn't ask. And it just like, it just, and, and that, that always stuck with me more than anything. He's like, God damn, like this guy, like, like, yeah, why not just like have a conversation with this beautiful woman and learn one thing about her and he never does it. 
Yeah. And it just says a lot about him in a, in a way that I really appreciated. And it's just like, man, the, 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 the agent, like, and like, you just think of agents of any kind as kind of being like, is, is not exactly just being the kind that people that have a lot of time a day for someone that's not important. And that, the, that this guy did just like sp- spoke a lot to like, uh, it just said, it just said a lot of, about Leon by contrast that like, in just like, in like literally like two and a half scenes, he has become like formed deeper connections with all these other people than he has in like the hour of the movie that came before it. Well, I, I think something that's important about that, and this sort of gets to another thing I loved about it, and it's what the movie has to say about art and kind of what it means to what what the quote unquote right approach to making art is. The way Leon seems to a piece of Leon that is very familiar to me is this obsession with almost basically having to retreat deep into the world of being a writer to to write. Mm-hmm. He, he wants to seclude himself. He believes what he's meant to do is become so explicitly literary that he is basically forced to shut everything else out because it's a distraction. And I think something the movie communicates very well is not only is, you know, that not necessary, it is actively wrong. The, the writing he is doing as a result is, look, it is up, it's up its own ass. And, and I think something the movie recognizes that I would definitely say Christian Petzold recognizes, anyone who wants to make art, whatever your field is, is only, is only well served by embracing the world itself and allowing, and allowing the world to enter into their art. Because mm. if you don't do, like, without that, it's, it is bullshit. Oh, yeah. um, and so again, like the, the great irony is all the things Leon is doing that he thinks are necessary to being a great writer, they are actively not serving him. And like, look, I know too many writers who in their basically hunt to become the best writer they can be, they dedicate themselves to, again, they, they write pages they study the craft, they study the form, they immerse themselves so fully in the circle of just other writers that sometimes the work can feel hollow. And the best, the best art, the best writing, the best film, like all of it, it is only, it is only well served by letting the world in and by coming from a place of being actively present in the world. I, I do think that Look, unless you do that to some extent, you are not going to be able to do your best work. Well, right. So, like, it's one thing. Like, I think I, you know, it's it's di- different field, uh, even if it's is it art in its own way. But I, you know, you think of like, uh, like the like the stand up comic or whoever who gets too successful to like have everyday experiences. So, like, where do you go for inspiration at that point when it's like you don't feel like you're the kind of person that can just go like live amongst the regular folks. Uh, and like that person inevitably has some struggle, but like at that point, you're talking about someone that's like trying to make material out of their day-to-day life. But it, what's interesting, it sounds like you're saying like, even if you're writing about something totally different, that's not a direct, insp- that's not direct inspiration for your day-to-day life. It's important to go, just go out and have human experiences to be able to just like still be a good writer, which I think is, if, yeah. if, if I'm reading you correctly, and I think that's, that's an interesting uh, thought you're positing, which I hadn't really necessarily thought about even in terms of this movie. Look, I will say one of the things I love about traveling, uh, Mm. there has been nothing that I think has been more crucial to my development as a writer. Mm. 
Um, not just because, oh, I am pulling specifically from people I've met or experiences I've had, but because the very act of travel does a lot to just kind of expand the way you think and force you to kind of place yourself within a new context and kind of struggle with that unfamiliarity and embrace something new and outside of yourself. And that's not to say you can only have that experience while traveling. I think traveling is a great way to do it. But like, look, it, there are a lot of ways to be fully present in the world. And I think something... Well, I was just going to say, I, mean, I think yeah. one thing we, we haven't really talked about, we haven't talked about any of the characters that much besides Leon, but I think I think Felix is a good contrast to that. Where he yeah. seems like he's attacking life in that in that exact way where in that Leon's just refusing to. Yeah, and I, th- I think it does, sort of like... <laughs> There are elements of this we'll get to later for obvious reasons, but something's worth mentioning. Christian Bitzel just talked about this as part of his Elements series. Uh, Undine, his last movie was Water. A fire is, uh, unsurprisingly, fire. And and I think kind of it's more than just kind of creating a movie that tends to kind of revolve around uh, that element narratively. I think there is sort of an exploration of what fire actually means. And what does it mean to, to burn so brightly you combust? And, and I think there is a piece of that where fire as dangerous and scary as it is, is also fully itself. It is a, a cell or a molecule kind of burning as bright as it can in that moment, being itself fully. And it's not to say that Christian Sold is saying, you know, we should aspire to be brief. But I think there is a piece of allowing yourself to be fully yourself, to be fully in the moment, to embrace life fully for what it is, to to burn brightly and to not hide yourself away. There is an el- like I, I think there's an element of that in 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 the way that's all uses fire. And again, there's there's more to it too that we'll get to after uh spoiler jump off. But did you well yeah before we get before we get to spoilers though did you did you have any other feelings though like on well, I guess we didn't even talk that much about Nadja to the extent you, you, with, yeah no, I definitely her, want to talk about her. even before we find out that uh, that like Nadja is a writer it's just like you know I think she's pretty admirable in the way she just like you know has a good attitude about stuff and it's like I mean they don't say it and maybe maybe she needs the money or whatnot but you almost get the feeling she is working at that ice cream shop just to have a different experience and I, I, I think, think that's, that's very clearly what it's yeah. So, mm-hmm. which i think which i think is like really interesting because the kind of thing that like leanne would never consider doing but it like speaks a lot about her that she does it um you know with a smile on her face and then just like you know goes about her day and this like uh, clearly sees the best in people and i think like again like I, and i and i and i already touched on that some with respect to the um uh with respect to the the literary agent too but like i mean it's it's uh i, I just think it's like a you know she, i mean and i think I, i'm sure you think pretty highly of her as an actress having watched the other that's stuff. one thing i wanted to get to mm-hmm. um, like i mean i think i think like i mean may, maybe in lesser hands that character doesn't feel as rich as it does but like i think you know she she immediately just makes that person feel like someone that's like a lot more to her than like you even if she w- were even if she wasn't an, a phd like you kind of see a lot of value in her and i think you know it, it, whereas like it seems like Leon is like, is too much of an elitist to really truly see that even if he is physically attracted to her. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot there. First of all, the word I wouldn't, the word I would use for her, it's not kind of, it's not about her humility to kind of work like the job. It's a genuine curiosity. Mm -hmm. It's a curiosity, not just for kind of the knowledge of other people in a different like state of life than her. It's a curiosity for new experiences. And there is what what could possibly be gained from 
work like working at an ice cream shop. Who knows? But you never know unless you do it. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that to me is the more interesting thing about her. It's not the it's it's not kind of the specific, it's not the humility, it's more just kind of the openness to new experiences. Um and a couple things. Uh just to touch on Paula Beer. Paula Beer, I think, is one of the most exciting actresses to come out of European cinema in a very long time. Um, in the same way that yeah, she's also way younger than I realized after watching Transit. They make her look a little like older. In yeah, she's a little they, so you're like it was like in her early 20s when Transit was filmed, but like I I just like watching Transit, they made her look a little older, I think. I don't know if this is how they dressed her or did her makeup or whatever. I was like, oh my God, like she is so young, which is good. I mean, I mean she has a like yeah. a long career ahead of her. Well, and also that's one of the things that's interesting. I guess sort of similar to what we were talking about with Andrew Scott and kind of the, this earlier half of the podcast, Paula Beer is someone who I think does an amazing job of conveying two separate states at the same time. For her, it tend, like the, the way I tend to describe it is there is, a, there is a glacial chill to her exterior performance with a burning fire that is very clearly bursting through against the cold. And I think in this movie, the, the, the fire and the warmth is let out a lot more than she normally does. This is in some ways a very against type performance for her. And I think part of part of why the, the role that char is that not... character That character in transit is very cold and distant yeah. you know, for a lot of the runtime. Um, Undine, I think, is a lot closer to her transit character, I would say, too. Um, I think it would be very easy for Nadja to feel like a manic pixie dream girl. And I think it is to Beer's credit as an actress and uh, Petzold's uh, skill as a filmmaker that for me, she doesn't feel that way. It feels, it doesn't feel like kind of an almost magical, oh, I am, I'm curious because that is something that makes me feel, that makes me look quirky. This is not a garden state. Not to throw too much shade on that movie. Um, but her curiosity feels natural to who this person is, or at least our experience of her, because there is so much about her that we're never given a chance to learn in large part because, again, Leon never really asks because on some level, he doesn't fully care. He isn't really able to see her or anyone around him fully, um, not just in terms of picking up like details of their lives that are significant, but in terms of really fully seeing them as people. And look, if you want to be a writer, you kind of need to be able to do that. You got, yeah, you got, you got to know people. And he doesn't really, does not have that curiosity at all like she does and, and at all. It's so evident. He won't even go to the beach with his friends, you know? Like it's, it's a, it's, 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 I mean, I, I don't think you, I, I, it's, it's funny because people are like hearing us talk about this movie about some, artists that basically go to a big on a vacation house and like it's like can that guy be really as like oh, unlikable as anyone you saw in the movies all last year it's like no yeah you really just gotta watch it um yeah um no okay so again just to give a plug for this movie to anyone who is put off by just kind of how inaccessible just kind of the premise of it is um it's more watchable than i'm making it sound i think for whatever that for whatever that's worth more accessible than i'm making it sound i think 
it, it, it is very rich and accessible, but I think it's, it's also, it is so incredibly textured. It is so incredibly human. And it is a movie that above all else is just about what it means to be fully alive. Um, there, there is a ton about what it specifically means to be an artist, but even if you don't care about any of that, I think, and this is sort of what I was getting at with Leon as a character, no matter who you are, you have probably at some point in your life felt unable to take the leap to, in, in a particular moment, to, to do what you want, to be fully yourself in that moment. And I think this is a movie that understands that, that understands that very natural and very universal human fear. Well, yeah. How much? So how much of it do you think is like, Leon just straight up being a bad person, but how much of it is do you think is this him lacking the self-confidence to be the person he should be? It's I mean, I think it's both. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think on some level the the shittier elements of Leon as a person are grounded in fear. And I think he has been warped by that fear and warped by that inability to to let himself fully be. He's retreated so far into himself that he has become self-obsessed and petty partially because he's envious of the people who can be something other than that and it, it's not an excuse for him as as a person um the movie makes it very clear that no he is he is a pretty shitty person who leaves people hurt as a result of the way he treats them I think where that the direction the movie takes that character is interesting and shows that there is more to him, shows that he can be something other than that. But I think from the beginning, Leon is someone who, look, I would not want to spend a second around. Um, but I think the the elements of him that are so unpleasant there are elements that if most people are actually willing to take a hard look at themselves, they can see a little bit of that. They can see a little bit of that in themselves too. I think it's natural to be envious. You want to not be ruled by that envy, but I don't know. I, I think Le Leon is the shitty version of our, of, of Leon is the shitty version of ourselves that, uh, Sometimes that sometimes it takes active effort not to be. He's all of the darker, shittier impulses molded into a person. But that like collection of shittiness is still a person. Yeah. Do you think I don't I don't think it needs to be in the spore section? What'd you make of uh him I mean, maybe it's nothing that's all that surprising, but like in, in light of everything we've already said about him, but like we did kind of neglect that like to mention how he, like she actually he, he actually lets her read the transcript after like you know where he's like been very guarded about it she eventually like gets him to like let his guard down enough to let her do that but then when she is anything when she's less than complimentary about it just like reacts in about the worst way possible too uh did you have any feelings on that scene or or is it just kind of like in keeping with who we already knew that character to be first of all uh, something i want to acknowledge it can be very hard to write that convincingly badly <laughs> so I just want to take a moment to 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 highlight that because from like the the snippets we hear of his writing. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, it 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 takes a tremendous amount of skill to make something that bad. 
So good on Christian Petzold for that. The other thing I should ask though, is that I feel like when I've talked to you about it, I know you are pretty sensitive about like who you let read your stuff and you probably have a pretty small circle of people you actually let do it. So I'm wondering when you're watching it in that moment, do you actually feel like maybe some level of sympathy for him for like how hard, how hard it is to like let your work go out into the world. It's just like, just don't be a dick about it actually once you ask for someone for feedback. No, look, I, I would also say though, her feedback, it's not unfair. Because, and I think like, it is very hard to let other people read your work, but you have to do it. <laughs> and you have to trust, but you have to trust that the people you are giving your work to, assuming this isn't and like, so this, assuming this is just speaking in terms of like giving it to people in your circle for feedback. <laughs> like industry submissions, obviously a different story, but if, if you let someone read your work, you want them to be honest with you. You want them to kind of be sensitive in how they communicate it. But if your work is bad and someone thinks your work is bad, they are not serving you well by trying to hide their reaction from you. Yeah, making you feel good in the short term doesn't actually do anything for you. Yeah. If, if, if you're not looking for actual feedback, then why are you actually even asking for them in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, basically, ego, ego this is sort of yeah. why this character is doing it. Because you're looking for someone to tell you uh, what you already believe, which is that your work is great. And it felt like that was the reaction, not that, that he was looking for, that he was expecting. And so I think the way Nanja reacts to his work, it's blunt, but it's not unfair. Not just because the work is bad, which we as an audience get to see, but because like, I think that's a level of honesty you should hope for in your reaction. And again, it doesn't always feel good, but that's part of the process. You kind of have to open yourself up to uh, receiving feedback that is blunt and harsh. Speaking from experience, it doesn't feel good to get those reactions. Healthier. But- the, alter- the, the alternative is not to avoid those reactions. Mm-hmm. It's to whether it, it, it's to get yourself to a place that you're able to accept that feedback. You don't have to listen to every piece of negative feedback, but you have to be able to accept it. Or you should. Well, that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. Well, so, so this is kind of more about just kind of the specifics of how to take feedback in general, which is a little outside of this. I would have thought, I would have thought the right way would be to listen to everything, but only, but like then accept what you think you need, but don't like tune it out. You know, oh, no, I would say you expect it. Like, again, it's sort of a semantic thing. It's accept, yeah, yeah. accept the note, but you don't have to. Oh yeah. I guess, I guess it's like how you want to like, how you want to define listen, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. Was there, was there anything else you want to talk about on that uh, all, all about specifically before we like jumped into the spoiler territory? Um, I mean, look, there's a lot to talk about with the movie in general. Mm-hmm. I do think a couple things to highlight before, because I think everything is going to be, like all the discussions are going to be better served by working in kind of where the movie actually ends up. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple things to talk about first. The complexity of the dynamics between the characters I thought was fantastic. Um, something that you sort of described earlier, uh, uh, David, the uh, fourth character who mm-hmm. is introduced. Oh, yeah. He is originally brought in as uh, one of Notch's one-night stands. Mm-hmm. 
who just ends up just kind of sticking around and just kind of developing a connection with uh, Felix and becoming from Leon's perspective an unwanted presence. Yeah, we, we, some... yeah. You can just kind of see Leon just can't stand it seeing anyone be happier than he is. So that's another example of that. I well, guess. it's also rooted in jealousy mm -hmm. uh, because the way the characters introduced, we hear them having sex, mm -hmm. and it, it's it's twofold though. I think it, one, it's yes, it's just that jealousy of him being uh, intimate with Nadia, but also just like it's just another example of him seeing how it's so much easier for other people to connect with yes. other people than it is for him. And it's like, that's what, that's what I thought. That's what I thought then. But that's what I also thought when like, you know, the, it, when, when you saw, uh, when he saw his editor, like connecting with Nadja and like, and, and because he's already had like a conversation with Nadja about like how, like, this is about me it's not about felix's work or whatever like it's like a fucking ticking time bomb when he starts like asking naji about her work and she's so uncomfortable about it and uh and like i mean but like it's just like yes like it's some petty jealousy about like you know uh romantic attraction but also just like he is just so mad that anyone everyone around him seems to like connect with other people better than he can and like he's almost just as mad about that as anything else i think yeah oh it, it's absolutely more than that yeah. i just think it is also oh that. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think in general, uh, Liana is someone who, well, one thing that's interesting about kind of those dynamics is there is something, there's a very clear frustration he feels in watching people who he has known longer form what seem to be deeper relationships with each other than yeah. he actually has with them. Mm -hmm. It's not just that uh, Nadja and Helmet kind of form a connection. It's the fact that like, look, Helmet is his agent who he has known for a long time. Nadja is his crush. And in a moment, they have formed what appears to be a, to him, appears to be a deeper, more meaningful relationship than he has with either one of them, despite having kind of these longer relationships with both of them. So yeah, um, I thought the dynamics between the characters were fantastic. I also, some of the stuff I want to talk about with Helmet I would consider vaguely spoilery, ter spoilery territory, so I'll talk about that more after the break. But yeah, one I guess something to talk about before is uh, Christian Pitzold as a filmmaker. Mm. He is another one of those filmmakers who we have talked about before, who I wouldn't consider especially showy, but tends to make what I would consider just the right choices moment to moment. He is an actor's filmmaker. He is capable of crafting images that convey more than a singular surface meeting that are meant to be sat with and ruminated on that aren't necessarily going to be dizzying displays of cinematic craft, but will almost inevitably be the right choices that are very often more complex than they appear to be. Uh, he is also someone who has sort of become a punching bag for a certain type of critique of art house filmmakers he is someone who the joke about him is he makes films for 15 people mm. <laughs> which i don't think is fully an unfair criticism of him but i think there is a big difference between someone whose work is deliberately is so deliberately complex and so deliberately austere and abstract that they don't want the the normal people to even attempt to interpret it. And there is someone who is just okay with the fact that their films may have the audience they have. 
and that's okay. It's it's and and I think Petzold for me is someone who I would consider just kind of more accepting of of the audience related limitations of the type of stuff he does, and is just okay with it. It's not that he is attempting to exclude a certain segment of the movie going audience. It's just he makes the films that he wants to make. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I need to watch more of him. I, like I said, I watched Transit last year, and I, I, and I, like, I kind of like it's hard for me to think about like how much I enjoyed it because like I think I did have a similar reaction to. It seems like you do with his movies, where I definitely my my appreciation for it definitely grew as I got as I yeah. got further away from it. But like, so it wasn't like I had like the biggest reaction to it in the moment. But I'd be curious to see like how his other ones uh, hit me as well because I I do respect what he's able to do. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I again I think uh, look, I mean I. I, I, I'll watch. I'll, I'll watch anything when Ben tells me it's gonna be on his top ten. But like I, I when he first told me about a fire, I don't think I knew anything because I hadn't even watched Transit yet. So I kind of went into this with a very, very few expectations because I also just kind of knew the subject matter was gonna be very different from Transit. And I, and I, and, and like I honestly, I think I had a, a stronger reaction to this off the bat than I did for Transit. I don't know why. Uh, uh, even if like it, it's, but like I, I just did. So I think I, in some ways, I did find it more accessible than Transit because Transit is. I'd say fairly inscrutable for a lot of the runtime uh, too. Like, even if you kind of know like what's going on in the larger picture, it's kind of like at the same time, what are we doing here for a lot of it? Where it's like, I guess it kind of becomes more apparent, like the, what the purpose of a fire is, even if it's like in some ways a smaller movie. Um, so I'm, so like, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's value in the two of his that I've seen and I look forward to reaching, reading, to seeing more of them and uh, just recommend everyone else. Like as, as, I mean, I think we've done a decent job of talking about it without going into the spoiler. So if anyone happened to actually, Listen to us to this point again. I think uh, it's been second favorite movie of the year and of 2023 apparently, and it's uh, it's something I really really enjoyed as well. So I highly recommend people take a t- go, go go give it a watch on Criterion and then come back and uh, listen to us talk about the ending of it because uh, it 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 goes in some pretty uh, some uh, pretty uh, exciting directions at, uh, at at a certain point, which we just avoided talking to to this point. So uh, go away and then come back. Uh, so one thing, Ben, I find it's quite funny. I, I gave the intro and I didn't even talk about how these people like go off to this house that's on the beach with the whole specter of a bunch of forest fires going on around them, yeah. which I mean, I mean, maybe it's not surprising when you hear the title of the movie, but I'm kind of glad I didn't. I realized that like after I started, it's like, oh, well, if anyone's actually listened to this and without having it spoiled, then they, they might know if we keep t- talking around something when I mentioned some fires going on in the background, maybe they'll put two and two together. So I'm glad I didn't do that on the off chance we have a few listeners who are bothered listening to the first like 40 minutes of that without, uh, you know, uh, actually going without, with, with, without like go, go without having seen the movie. But I, so like, yeah, there's this specter, this fire that we neglected to mention till now that is just going on in the background and other parts of the general geographic area they are in, but they seem to think that this house is situated such that it's really just not really in that big a danger from it. And, you know, at a, at a, at a certain point, like they, um, uh, but, but at a certain point, like one, uh, at the end of this dinner that they have that Helmut is invited to, uh, he ends up having a bit of a, a bit of a coughing fit. So they, they take him to the hospital, but at the same time, uh, the, uh, uh, Felix and David, like they, they, they want to, they, they need to go, uh, drive off themselves. Uh, you know, uh, should I be calling the kind of thing that they were driving around? What exactly were they driving? I think they were going to, um, I, I forgot what the purpose of it was. It has something to do. Were they going to pick up a car? Oh, that was the thing. Yeah. No, at the beginning of the movie, the car, their car breaks down. That's, that's what okay. it was. Yeah. They, they, were, they were, I think they were, they were, they were going, I, I, I don't think they eventually exactly knew the exact, 
uh, way in which they were going, but like they, they, they needed to go, uh, they need to go, uh, get the broken car. And I think they, I think they were driving it maybe in a, in some kind of vehicle that could tow it. If I remember, I don't know. But like, it has been about seven months since I saw the movie. Yeah, so maybe it, I'm not the one we should rely on. For no, 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 uh, no, 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 yeah, plot yeah. but yeah, you did, you did a better job of me there though, but they, they go off in their own direction as, uh, as Nadja and, uh, Leon take uh, helmet to the hospital. Um, and like, turns out that helmet gets a pretty, uh, uh, a tough cancer diagnosis they come back and it turns out oh well uh david and felix uh, that they, they got stuck in the fire and they didn't make it uh and and they get this news from cops like right as of course right as leon decides to tell uh Nadia that he loves her just a rough look for our guy leon um i something just to correct one thing yeah, it's yeah. not a diagnosis helmet i think it's clear is known he's had cancer for the entire time Oh, I didn't. I don't know if I picked up on that actually. Yeah, um, uh, it takes a turn while he's up there. Oh, okay. I think I think I missed that, and I just thought it was kind of like, and and I could see why that might be the case, but I kind of just took it as like a because, yeah. I guess in the moment I took I took it as like maybe he had some kind of scan, but I I guess it's true because they're not there for that long for him to get an actual full cancer workup. I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, you know. Uh, from what i remember that was the I, yeah, I don't know if it was explicitly said but that actually in, in that way but it, it makes sense like you nod you like again uh another example of uh, uh leon just being like not being able to read other people where he just like you know has a quick interaction with them and like nod can tell something's up when he can't um and that, that that kind of becomes apparent but then they they get back to the house and then they they they, they find out about uh felix and um they find out about felix and david so uh and also, but on the on the way to the hospital too, like there's like a whole thing where um, Nadja like takes, I, I guess, uh, took uh, helmet on her own, but then feel, and then uh, Leon just kind of takes his own path and runs across a wild boar that's like on like it's it, it very uh, a lot going on. But uh, man, I uh, it's it, it it's like you know it's kind of funny. It's like the tensions just rise and rise in this movie, and then um, in in another way, like things you know literally and figuratively all kind of catch fire all at once um ben what, what did what did you kind of make uh i guess i guess there's i mean a couple of different things to talk about here but like what what what, what exactly really like sh- struck you in a way in, in 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 this latter half of the movie that like kind of really put things into the uh to the made things click into place for you i guess is what i should say whether it be something with respect to uh this whole thing going on with helmet in them or even if it was just the the consequences of the fire itself Okay, so a lot. Uh, just to kind of start wading into the complexity of everything mm-hmm. I felt about that second half, mm-hmm. um, something that's also worth mentioning is the very end, it's revealed that Leon has actually written a book that has been received much better that does seem to be a, a, about his experiences in the film. Um, about his, about the death of his friend, about his own kind of inter, like internality. In, in I, think, I think it's actually kind of a manuscript. I don't know if it actually had gotten published or not. It was, it was a manuscript, but it, he, he's, go, he's, go, he's going to helmet. Better. Yeah, he's going to helmet for feedback, even as helmets uh, in the in, in the midst of his cancer treatments. Yeah, and I think the connotation we're given is this seems to be a much stronger book. Um. And I think the important connotation here is, look, he is drawing from himself and he has found a way to, he has found a way to break through. 
and to actually feel and to actually let let his feelings both in and out in a real way because part of something that is significant at the end is the first time he sees the bodies he's unable to have kind of a actual visceral reaction to it he shuts down he kind of goes inside himself and his reaction is it's academic it's intellectual and i it's because it's it's hard to actually let yourself feel that in the moment and so on some level he doesn't he sort of he knows what he's supposed to be feeling he feels around it and on some level like there is a reaction to it but he doesn't actually let the weight of it in. And I think by the end, he has found a way to do that. And he has found a way to be to honest to be honestly and openly himself. And I think for me, what is significant about that ending, it sort of relates to a lot of what the movie is. And it's, it's I was sort of hinting at this earlier. Um even if you are a deeply shitty person who is ruled by fear, who is ruled by these elements in yourself who you don't want to represent who, like who you are in the world, it is possible to find a way, like it's possible to find a way to not be that. And you don't have to be ruled by who you are and who you were at your worst. Um, it doesn't mean it all goes away, but the way to be a less shitty person is just to be a less shitty person. <sighs> Do you think they're trying to point us in the direction of like one thing that got him to that point? Or is it just like kind of the experience as a whole, given that's what he decided to write about? Is it like, you know, I guess, is it, I, I guess what I'm asking is like, are we supposed to be like looking at that and be like, Oh, he, he got, he got there because of, um, you know, his friends dying because of, because uh, of, uh, Nadia telling him off or just like hey this guy just finally like he needed something this massive in his life to happen to like actually kind of reorient himself you know I mean I think it's the way it's the weight of all of this but I think the moment we're given of this look narratively this isn't the moment where he finally changes completely but it is I think the sign we're giving that the change is occurring he goes to the beach mm. and look we there there's a, a time skip we don't know how long, but mm -hmm. long enough that I think we can assume that it's not like a switch is is flipped and suddenly all of your bad qualities are gone and you're just a different person. We can assume that it probably, there was a journey. There had to be some level of growth over time. Even if we can identify where the start of that journey was, it's a journey he's been on by the time we kind of meet him again at the end of the movie. Um. But I think that moment where he goes to the beach is the sign we're given that the process has started. Hmm. So I don't know. It's I am not leaving, but I am someone who I think, like a lot of people, sometimes has has just has a lot of self doubt and has too many memories of things I'm ashamed of, which I think is human. It's very easy to remember stupid moments that you wish you handled differently. It's easy to remember times you were 
rude to someone or pettier than you wish you were, or where you didn't honestly open yourself to something that was right in front of you. It's easy to remember those moments and feel stuck in the shame of how you feel about how you acted in that moment. But the way out of that is sort of, it's to let that go and to just not be that person again or to not make those mistakes again on some level. In, in light of that and where it gets Leon to as a person, how do you feel about <sighs> what role uh, David and Felix's death would have played at all in like how he, you know, chose to see the world any differently. I mean, again, these are these guys that he is so jealous of and just like how they are able to go through life in a way differently than him. And then he just sees their life come to a, a really unfair ending. And do you think, you know, there's something to that as far as him thinking, well, like, geez, like, I mean, uh, it, I mean, life is short. I should probably live it like these guys or uh, man, I mean, like, or just like, yeah, like why, why spend your time being an asshole if like, you know, it can all be taken from you any second, enjoy the time you have. Uh, like what, what did you make of like them making the petzel making the choice to take those two characters off the board in that manner with respect in, to like where he wants to, where, where he got Nadja and, uh, and Leon to. I think a piece of it is some people live a fuller life in 20 years than some people do in 90. And mm. it's not that the moment, it's not the moment isn't meant to be seen as tragic because it is absolutely tragic when we find out that they've died and it's depicted as a tragedy, but there is also still a beauty in how they were able to live their lives and that they were able to find something of beauty in forming this connection with each other in being fully in the world. Um, it's not that it erases the tragedy at all, but I think the piece of it for Leon, outside of the fact that like, look, this is, this is someone he cared about who has died. This is his friend, however, however yeah. petty he was towards him. This was still yeah. someone he cared about. Mm -hmm. And who cared about him? Yeah, and he, he had um, to. He was at least a stand up, stand up enough guy to like, I guess, know he had to deliver the news to Felix's mom too, which was interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think that the piece of it that hits home for Leon, and I think is meant to hit home for us as we watch it, is the piece that you know, like, look, let this be a wake up call. Um, you never know when it's going to come. Yeah, I mean, there. it's like the, the way to put it could also be you don't know how long you have, so enjoy the time you have. But I think there's, and this kind of goes to the idea of fire. It's just there. there is a beauty in a moment, a beauty in a relationship for more, like for more than just kind of what it means over the scope of a life. There is a beauty in a moment for a moment. And our lives are not a single choice or a single moment, a single thing that we have shut out that we can, we can accept or shut out. And then that determines the fate of everything. We have an infinite number of moments where we can choose to be fully open to what that moment is. I'm trying to kind of find the best way to put this. Also been talking for like two plus hours at this point. So 
I, no, I, I, I'm impressed by the job we've done to this time. Don't feel bad if you don't no. make it, make every point exactly as you want it to. But I mean, I was just like, you know, oof, it was, I mean, it was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty gruesome choice to like just have those characters yeah. come to that end. So I was trying to think of the ways in which we could. It's a very uh, German you know, choice, but yeah. Uh, in any event, like, I mean, they, in, in, again, you see, you see, you see, um, you see Leon go to the beach and then you see, uh, and uh, like, I mean, after all that has happened at that point, and then we, like you said, we have the time jump, and at, as of the time jump, we see that, like, you know, we're led to believe he hasn't had any contact with Nadia since then, since she, yeah. since she left that place, and then, in, but he's still maintained a relationship with Helmut, and uh, it seems that like she has maintained an even closer relationship with him, probably. Uh, wherever they, where, wherever they, and wherever he has been getting his cancer treatment, she seems to be there regularly checking up on him and maintaining some kind of ongoing, you know, relationship with him. And uh, who knows, maybe he's helping her with her writing too. But it, he still, at least, like has maintained enough of a connection with uh, Leon too, such that Leon can bring him a manuscript. And then uh, Leon is just like kind of confronted with like seeing. Uh, Nadja one more time first creeping on her from a distance then they comes up and they make eye contact and uh, you know s- seem to like you know she seems to not have a totally like you know averse reaction to him but then uh the movie ends and I'm and and, and I'm wondering like how, how you felt about how it uh did in building to that moment and if you were supposed and what you thought we were supposed to take from them having that moment of recognition uh right before the end and if maybe it was like a matter of like not that she like all of a sudden like wants to you know uh, go be a big part of Leon's life, but maybe she like knows a little bit anecdotally or, or through talking to Helmet that like, hey, he's made some he's made some improvements, and that's something, and maybe that's it. Or uh, I don't know. What, 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 I think the, the bigger your take piece, on, what was your take on that? The bigger piece is more what it represents for me, which mm-hmm. is again, you can that Leon is someone who has fucked up pretty significantly mm-hmm. um, in how he's treated the people around him and how he's treated Nadia. And I don't think the moment is meant to be, oh, we found each other again and now I am magically like in love with you in this fantasy version. Of- oh yeah, definitely not. But it's, you know, I am cho- like, I'm not going to judge you by who you were at your worst and you get a- another chance to be a better person. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the, the, the notes the movie ends on for me is positive but ambiguous about what the future holds which i think is for me the right note for it to end on. because we don't know what will or won't come of their relationship in the future it may just be they see each other again and there is a moment of pleasant recognition and that's all it ends up being but what comes outside of it for me matters less than the recognition of you are not who you are at your worst. And I choose to acknowledge that you are not who you are at your worst. Mm-hmm. That to me is the significant piece of it. Which I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. Cause like, it's, I think it's very in keeping with, you know, Najee as a character, but it's like, he got like, um, Leon is like left such a sour taste in everyone's mouth. It's like hard to even like feel like he necessarily deserves that from her. But like that doesn't, it's not a matter of deserves. It's so, a matter of her. It's a matter of her, like, you know, just being who she is, I guess, you know, Tim. It's interesting because I told you when I first saw the movie, um, I liked it, but I didn't love it as much as I grew to. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I didn't, I was originally a little unsatisfied by the end. I felt like Leon got off too easy. Yeah. But again, the more I sat with it, the more I realized, like, again, there is a piece of Leon that I recognize in myself. 
there is a big piece of Leon that I think Christian Petzold recognizes in himself. And I think so much of what this movie is, it's having compassion, even for who you are at your worst. And it's there is something that's less literally about a person, a person at who who is acted exactly like Leon being forgiven narratively. I think the ending is less about that and more about forgiveness and acceptance as a whole and finding your way towards forgiving yourself, which again, more than the specific narrative significance of it was more what was overwhelmingly important in that moment for me. Mm -hmm. It is that feeling of forgiveness and that feeling of compassion, even towards the piece of yourself that you don't feel deserve it. And that, I think the more I thought about the movie is the emotion that I was left with. It's that compassion and that compassion and that it, compassion towards yourself too. I think the way, because again, we don't see Leon's full like manuscript. Where we get the sense that a lot of what, you, we, what we've been watching mm-hmm. is to some extent what we've written, how Leon has portrayed himself. And if we are meant to be left with that, I think it's clear that Leon is sort of unsparing to himself. You know, um, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, and that Leon, Leon is at a place of of, of self acknowledgement, and and so I think the connotation of the ending is we have the self acknowledgement, and then we have the compassion that needs to come alongside. Yeah, that was definitely something that I'm a little too tired to kind of communicate. For. No, you did you did a great job of it. I, I I honestly don't have a ton else left myself. I just had a thought that was something. There was a thought I had after the movie that I'd like glad I just remember because I didn't type it down before in any notes before you started doing this. But did you have the thought at all that like as you're watching this, that as different as like directions as the movie's head in, there's like maybe more than one similarity between this and another movie we talked about called Burning. You know, I was curious if you were going to bring that up actually. Yeah, and like I and not, and not and not even just the fire aspect of it, but like just some like some similarities in the story, you know, as far yeah. as like a guy that like you know is k- kind of jealous of someone else that can like you know connect with people a lot better, including someone he has a sexual attraction to, and is like letting that kind of eat away at him. And it was just kind of funny. It's like wow, these are movies from different foreign films that came out five years apart that both have an aspect of fire to them that like actually you can kind of draw a couple parallels to. And I just I I I, I don't necessarily have a whole lot to add to that because again. It's late. We've been talking for three hours, but I, I kind of want to shout that out because like Burning's an awesome movie that people should watch. Oh, yeah. But it's just it's just kind of a very funny coincidence that like I don't think you necessarily knew that to be the case when you requested to do this. This is just like a this is just like a director that you like also really respect and wanted to cover. And it just kind of so happens that like there's more than a thing or two. It has a, th- a more than a thing or two in common with this other movie that we talked about five years ago. Let's just work on another one by calling it Portrait of an Incel on Fire. <laughs> I had I had not I had not gotten that far. You're you're ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, no. So something I actually did want to bring up though. So I, I I will say this is a movie where I expected something very different from what it, it ended up being. Um Petzold is a filmmaker who plays with kind of sort of as a contrast to Andrew Hay, Petzold plays with very ambiguous, murky, and electrical subject matter a lot. A number of his films are sort of actively magical realist, including Undine, which is his last film. Uh, going in, I avoided pretty much any uh, like spoilers for a fire 
I knew the basic premise of, you know, people go to a cabin, one of them is a writer, humanity develops, um, humanity ensues. Um, but because I knew that this was supposed to be a part of a series with a fight with, uh, with Undine, I was sort of expecting there to be some sort of magical realist twist partway through. And I kind of kept waiting for the shoe to drop. Um, and it's interesting because uh, there was absolutely none of that in the movie. Like I was, I was half prepared prepared for it to turn out that Nadja was like a, a a member of the Fae or something, which I'm glad I'm, I'm glad the movie didn't go in that direction. It's just it's interesting. Uh, going in, I expected to be somewhat less less grounded than it ended up being. But you know, look, one of the things I like about Petzl is he is a filmmaker who is harder to put into a box than some of his critics tend to pilot. Kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier, there is an idea of what a Petzold film is that I don't think has a ton of resemblance to all of his films. Yeah, and I would say, not, not, I can even already tell, it's not necessarily only that guy that you're joking about that like makes him for 15 people. The, sorry, what? He's not necessarily only that guy you're joking about that makes no. him for 15 people. No, I would even say uh, probably the most accessible movie he's made would be Phoenix. I am notoriously pretty opposed to depictions of a lot of depictions of the Holocaust in film. I think Phoenix is not only a movie that plays with a lot of that subject matter incredibly well, uh, but feels like a movie that outside of being an artistic and cinematic like or to force and all of the, the reasons like I might jump to a movie normally it I think is just an incredibly tense and exciting movie um so again there there is an idea of who penciled as a, as a filmmaker but he is I think much he has a much more diverse filmography than he's given credit for sometimes and yeah I all all I know with a new Petzold film is I I will be excited for it. I would love for, like I expect it to surprise me, and I expect to love it more and more the more I sit with it because that is the pet and special at this point. Any other final thoughts? Uh, one small thing. Um, I have had that uh, in my mind that song stuck in my head for like six months now. <laughs> no, do I just maybe I love the movie too much? Cannot get it out of my head. Uh, so. Great needle drop. Um, One thing I want to add before I'm thinking about it is like, as much as we talked about Leon, we only said Thomas Schubert's name like once. Got to give a pretty good performance to, give oh, a, make, to, yeah. to make someone that unlikable. You know, it's like, yeah, it's in the writing, but like, you know, you, 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 got, you got to do something right in the performance to make, to, to play someone that hateable and that effectively. So just wanted to make sure it's like you shouted out the performance as well as the, the writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only because, again, he conveys all of these negative qualities so incredibly well, but I think significantly we never really lose sight of who he is like kind of outside of that like know, it's not right. just like look let's watch this person be very unlikable it feels like a person who is this unlikable and we never kind of as inhibited as leon is as a person we see that inhibited we we see this person be inhibited we don't just see the mask we see the person deep down inside I think it's a really incredible performance. And I, I think, 
I mean, Pat Sold is someone who I think is a very underrated type of actor's director. He doesn't give people their showiest roles, but he draws complexity out of performers that a lot of other filmmakers don't necessarily go for. Like I'd say Paula Beer is has been his female muse for a long time for for her, for his last few films, but before then he had an incredibly long and fruitful uh, cinematic relationship with Nina Haas, who we've talked about before in the context of Tar. Yeah, I did. I did not. And again, because I have not seen his earlier stuff, I did not realize that till I was listening to an interview with him. So it's kind of cool that he you know finds these actresses that he can get a lot of different things out of. Yeah. So, and and I I still think again as much as I loved her work in Tar, Haas's best work uh, has been with Petzold. So I think that he is he's able to draw performances of depth, complexity, and subtlety out of actors that maybe other filmmakers just aren't able to do. I'm I definitely excited to see what Thomas Schubert does next. But I think the fact that this performance was as subtle and interesting as it was is. A testament to Schubert, but also penciled as an actor's director. But yeah, I mean, in terms of final thoughts, I just I, I thought it was a really beautiful film. I also think the word the word literary tends to get thrown around as a pejorative sometimes when people talk about film. There's this idea that a type of there's a specific type of complexity that is better suited to the realm of novels than to film. Film is uh, a still image progressing into another still image. There is a flow of images, but each, but e like, unlike text, you can't sit with something for as long as you, as, as like you, you sorry, with text, you, you are able to sit with something longer than you can with a cinematic image. Um, and because films are not meant to be, not meant to be kind of as long of an experience as reading the book is there's a type of complexity that tends to get used as a pejorative. I think Petzold is a very literary filmmaker and he reminds me why that type of complexity shouldn't be viewed as a negative. There is a depth to, to his work and every single image, every single moment is more than it appears to be and is worth sitting with and letting sit with you. Well, well, well said. I uh, before we before we hit hour four, uh, Ben, uh, do you have anything else you'd like to recommend to the listeners? You've name dropped, you've name checked some of his other films. If there's anything you want to uh, highlight more specifically about any of them, you want someone to watch, or something else you've watched recently, you want to recommend to the listeners? Yeah, I mean, with Petzold, I think A Fire has probably become a favorite of his. Undine is the one that I feel we need to go to bat for most often because it's one that I think still has not really gotten the reception that it deserved, but I think it is one of the most genuinely exciting modern fairy tales we've seen on screen. It's just an incredible film with amazing performances from Paul Deere and Franz Rogowski. And there is a richness and mystery to the way it presents its kind of fancy elements that I think is, for me, very exciting. So if there's, if, if there's a Petzold film to watch that most people like should watch as their first Petzold, it would be either Transit or Phoenix, but if there's one that I would really recommend seeking out after that, it would be Undine. Um, in terms of stuff outside of Petzold, uh, just because you know we are uh, at the point in the year where people are still trying to kind of cross off their last uh, 2023 watches, um, there's a movie I really want to recommend called The Unknown Country. 
it is, I think, the movie that slipped through the cracks for the most people, but it is absolutely one of my favorites from last year. It is the other Lily Gladstone performance from 2023. Yeah, and it is some of the most brilliant acting I saw last year. Uh, basically, it follows uh, a Native American woman on a cross-country road trip for reasons that we are not initially given. Um, but the best comparison I could make to it would be Paris, Texas, uh, which I think is one of the greatest films ever made and created a blueprint for a very particular type of American road movie that I would place unknown country very squarely within the tradition of. It's a movie that touches a lot on physical spaces and what our relationship to physical spaces actually means about us. It's a movie that touches on grief. It's a movie that touches on community. And it is all grounded in, I think, one of the subtlest and most moving central performances uh, from 2023. I had actually... The only reason I really had my eye out for it, a friend of mine saw it at the film festival like the year before mm. and had been hyping it up to me for basically a full year. And it really did not disappoint. Paris, Texas is a, is a touchstone. I would also say Kelly Reichardt is to some extent a touchstone for it. Unsurprising given that Lee Gladstone has worked with Reichardt before. Um, but yeah, if there is any one movie worth seeking out from last year that I think probably not enough people saw it would be that one. I I really appreciate that recommendation because I don't think I'd heard about it or I might've heard the name once and I didn't like have enough, I just, for whatever, I just, it just didn't, it slipped by. Like you said, it slipped through the cracks for a lot of people. It slipped through the cracks for me. It looks like you can watch it on movie and rent it on Amazon. So uh, easy enough for people to find only an hour and 25 minutes long. So uh, no excuse not to give something like that a shot. If you watched, if you, if you watched Killers of the Fire Moon or like, Hey, I want to see more of what that actress does. Watch that and also watch Certain Women. Uh, I will say I don't have a lot of movies I haven't watched. Uh, I've watched that I haven't recently that I need to plug that haven't already been talked about on the podcast. I one thing that really surprised me that I really enjoyed because I don't really know what I expected from it. Maybe I shouldn't have because of the talent involved. I've watched the first three episodes of Donald Glover's Mr. and Mrs. Smith on Amazon and actually really enjoyed them. I know Ben is a pretty big Donald Glover fan. Uh, and I, it's like, it's just interesting because it's like, you know, Atlanta's so esoteric and it's like, oh, he wants to do something with Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's done in like a way that's uh, very entertaining, very funny at times. At one point it was exciting because at one point, like both he and Phoebe Waller-Bridge were involved. She left the project due to creative differences. Maya Erskine came in, who is a writer creator in her own right, but is just not there in that capacity once she came in, but is just like giving a very, a very charming, uh, fun performance opposite of Glover. And they're both just like, you know, having a lot of fun doing spy shit but it's it's largely episodic i mean there's a the through line of their relationship but it's a easy it's an easy watch it's an episode of the week kind of thing and it's just a very funny they gave him a lot of resources and i'm just i'm glad that like you know don glover delivered on something like that that had been in the works for a very long time with some issues and it, i wouldn't have been shocked if it wasn't good just because it wasn't even his fault because this stuff out of his control but it's just it's very entertaining and um you know just very well done in just all aspects and an easy watch like all the episodes are like 45 minutes or less so uh, yeah, i've actually heard surprisingly good things about this one it's it's uh i will actually probably try to make time for it because as you know don glover yeah yeah you know it's like and it's like being critically received better than like the the 
Brad Pitt, Jennifer, uh, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie movie ever was, you know, so it's, it's like, not that that's like the highest bar, but it's like, I think that was a movie was a big hit. And so I think people were like, oh, interesting. Like, what are they going to do with this? And it's, I think they found their own good spin on it, you know? Um, yeah, I, 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 that's about where my recommendations would end. Uh, ben, uh, where can people find you on Letterboxd if they want to do that? Oh uh, yeah. I'm on there as Ben Lubin. Uh, you can also search the plot is lost one word. Right. And yeah. Yeah, there you go. As usual, I'm Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast Twitter's at RealMoviePod. Podcast email is RealMoviePod at gmail.com. Uh, Ben's going to be back a lot in 2023 or 2024, excuse me. There's just a, a lot of stuff that, you know, he is very excited about or he is contractually obligated to return for because he was there for something earlier in that series or by that director in the last two to three years. So you'll have plenty to see from him. And also we're, we'll be back at some point. He'll be back at some point to uh, hopefully give his top 10 on the podcast in the next uh few weeks as well uh but coming up next on the podcast for us though like we'll have an episode probably on anatomy of a fall and past lives to just kind of round out our coverage of the best picture nominees so uh, i want to thank ben for joining me and being so generous with his time for tonight i want to thank all of you so generous with his time tonight i guess it tells you how long of a night it's been i want to thank everyone for listening and sticking with us who took the time to listen to, the, to, to this to our reviews of both of these movies and we'll see you next time